When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Flashes, huh? What's your favorite scary movie? Um, <laughs> not that one. <laughs> Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking baby single white female. We're talking every network TV starlet under the age of 25. Maybe. And we're talking We Were Never Friends. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking belly button piercing horror. Oh boy. I'm not going to lie. A lot about this film doesn't hit hard enough. But I do like that scene. I think it's the one true, like, intentionally cringe moment in this movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hidden among the unintentionally cringe moments? <laughs> well, I think, well, we'll see. But everyone, we are discussing, um, here's, get ready for this, Christian E. Christensen's <laughs> The Roommate, the 2011, as you said, baby single white female that we have had quite a few people request us to cover, Joe. A surprising number, yes. Who knew that this film had so many fans? Who knew that this film had any fans? But before... I know, but no, that that was mean, but, but I only say that because we have to have someone in this movie's ballpark, like all, on its side, and I am going to bring in our guest, who I think might tick that box for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, everyone, she is the host of The Unholy Chapel, a YouTube channel where she reviews films and TV shows and reacts to trailers. She is the writer, director, and star of Malediction, an upcoming horror film about a woman trying to detox off drugs in a secluded cabin. She is also the director of Mother of All Frogs, one of the segments in God of Frogs, an upcoming horror anthology film. Please welcome Allie Chapel. Oh, my God. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I, just for the record, guys, we were always friends. I don't care what this movie says. <laughs> it's such a sick burn, but isn't a sick burn the, at all. But also, they use it twice, and it's yes! like fully twice. Yes, no, because okay, I'm the Minka Kelly character is so stupid, and she's so oh. boring, and she's so she's unoriginal. Like, she is the worst. She sucks. But, but they bring in Nina Dobrev for one scene, for one line. Just one. And Minka Kelly steals it for the climax. <laughs> but also, don't you kind of wish that Nina Dobrev was the lead of this, even though I like Minka Kelly? I kind of wish she was, because I feel like Minka Kelly doesn't work. And her character <laughs> doesn't <laughs> work. Like, honestly, like, I'm like, why does this bitch even want to, like, be friends with Minka Kelly? 
Mm. Well, the, the thing, and I, I agree with you, Joe. I like Minka Kelly. However, she lacks a certain spiciness that I feel like would right. make this horribly written character even the slightest bit compelling. And Nina Dobrev has that spice. Right. We've seen it. So we know. And also all three of them kind of look alike. So they're pretty interchangeable. Oh, literally, that's the movie's premise. Like girl has a type. Allie. So do you know how how Netflix has like the algorithm where it changes the posters of movies based on the account watching the film? I'm always just like, why was this the picture they chose to use? This person's in the movie for like three seconds. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Joe reaches out to me, sends me a picture of his because it is just a picture of Cam Gigandet on the drums with the title The Roommate right below it. And yep, (laughs) that... Hap- I, I, we don't have it on American Netflix over here, so I just have to pay to rent this movie. Oh, um, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Actually, I'm sorry. This one was on Tubi. I paid to rent The Covenant last week. <laughs> there we go. Oh, that's <laughs> but, but worse. Nevertheless, I had someone check. I had a girlfriend check. I was like, hey, can you please go to Canadian Netflix and tell me what this looks like for you? She goes, uh, I see either... Leighton Meester or Minka Kelly, I cannot tell which one it is. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, mine's definitely Leighton Meester just looking so mad. <laughs> and I'm like, girl, I feel you. She is not a good friend. Truly. <laughs> Bad friend. But Ali, I am so curious because I know that you you have come in here with uh, your shield up on this movie. And I have to know why. This movie hit at like a very weird time because all of the TV shows that basically every single person was on, mm-hmm. I watched them all. I think the only one I didn't watch was like Friday Night Lights. Right. Mm. But like this was coming like just going into the last year of Gossip Girl. Like Cam had just killed Marissa on the OC. Danielle Harris was, you know, kind of skanky in another TV show on One Tree Hill. Like it was just all these people hitting a lot of notes for me. And I was like, yes. Yeah. I need to see them all in a horror movie now. Thank you, whoever casted this. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think that that's kind of the draw here for me as well. The the, the one show I missed in that whole set was um. Well, besides, I didn't watch Friday Night Lights, but like of the CW era, like I did not watch One Tree Hill, and I did not watch the Nine Hundred Two One Zero remake. And both people, people from both of those shows, are in this movie. <laughs> right. Okay, but like Matt Lanter, I mean, is he really in this movie? You see him for like a second. Okay, and he gets I- higher billing than like Francis Fisher. It's it is wild to me. Joe, if you don't know who Matt Lanter is because you didn't watch whatever show he was in, um, which – was that 90210, Allie? It is. Yeah. Okay. It is. And he was also in Sorority Row. Which yes. Like- <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what I know him from, a Sorority Row, which is funny because he has a bigger part in that movie, which came out two years prior. Right. Yes. But that movie helped no one's career, unfortunately. Well, what you mean, we... Audrina Patridge isn't super famous now? <laughs> Not so much. God, yeah, you know, whatever. Sorority Row is a five star film. It's fine. Um, it's fine. And maybe we're getting a sequel. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Make it happen, universe. God, are we getting a sequel? Josh Stolberg is on the record as saying, like, I'm writing it. Whether or not that means it gets made, or... yeah. well, maybe he just he needs a hobby. <laughs> well, Truly. but. You know what, though? If you've been on Twitter in the past, like, five years, that movie has, like, found a new audience with gals mm-hmm. and gays. Um, and I guess maybe the younger generation? I don't know what Gen Z thinks of Sorority Row, but um, I have to assume that's, that's enough of a push for him to get him to write it. But what we're, we will not be getting a sequel... But what we will not be getting a sequel to is The Roommate. 
<laughs> it's because it's a de facto sequel in and of itself. I mean, it truly is. But also we should get like a prequel because like we get no backstory. It's just truly. we were never friends. And it's like, okay, well, you're kind of a bitch. Like, oh, my God. Orphan first kill this bitch and like de-age Leighton Meester, even though she looks exactly the same nowadays. But like does. put her in stilts and just like shoot a bunch of scenes with her when she's supposed to be like 12 years old. Oh, my God. Yes. Also, if they had done this because this truly feels like a lifetime movie and i'm so into lifetime movies i always have been so that's why i was also really drawn to this and also i would like to believe that i'm not a psychopath roommate but like maybe i do (laughs) weird stuff so when this movie came out i like saw it in theaters and then i made my roommates go and see it and i was like do you like this movie how do you feel about it who do you who do you think you would be out of these two (laughs) (laughs) should we all get emily tattoos let's like should we but also they were gonna like really lean into the absurdity lifetimeness of this film it should have ended instead of her i don't know dying question mark rebecca should end up in like a mental institution where mm. she gets a new roommate that she can like actually manipulate well, and be friends with and, and, 100%. But th- th- that at the end of the day is a big is the main issue i have with this film i can take stupid flat characters and whatever but this movie refuses to have fun with its premise like there's nothing mm-hmm. silly about it, 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 it look, i'll bring up last week's film the covenant a lot because a lot of similarities between how each of these films i think handles their material but this movie takes itself so seriously and there's not an ounce of tension anywhere in its runtime no. and so i'm just like i joe i agree with you i i think a prequel with better filmmakers and maybe a better writer um could do a, a campy premise like this justice yeah it, it's just True. that they need to lean into it and recognize oh we don't need to make this a good film we can make this a fun film yes. yeah i mean i think it's pretty fun it's just kind of like it's like a story being told from like a bitch who doesn't like you i will take that i will accept that excuse slap it on the poster a film made by a bitch who doesn't like you (laughs) yeah because there's no empathy for the rebecca character like oh she's just she's super hot and like a talented artist but somehow everyone's like she's fucking weird Mm-hmm. Which and the film does flat out tell you she suffers from either bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or both. Oh, I have big issues with that whole thing. Yeah, oh, yes. and we don't dive into that at all. At all. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's like we find her pills and we immediately go, "Oh my god, I need to move out immediately." That's like, like her only. Yeah, she's like, "Oh my god, I don't think she's ever been on these pills. I need to move them with Irene." Also, solid name for like a twenty-three-year-old. I, I have I have so many questions about Irene, but you know what? We will, so we many. will get there. Yes. Well, so, okay, so admittedly, I walked into this being like, well, there's not going to be any information about this movie because no one wants to talk about this. And luckily, <laughs> you're so fucking judgy. <laughs> Jesus. No, listen, this movie was written by Trace. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm just saying this as a fact because I couldn't find like, you know, genuine thoughts from anyone that wasn't during like the press run for this movie's release. Right. Yeah, it hasn't really. Let's say it has not picked up a recent reappraisal. Exactly. But luckily, the the screenwriter has gone on to become a director um, uh, of film. (laughs) So he has actually talked about this movie a couple times um, in uh, the past eight ish years when he had like three films of his own come out in a row between 2015 and 2018. Okay. so the roommate is the brainchild of producer turned screenwriter Sonny Malhi. And he actually went to college for political science and international relations. And right after college, he moves from Chicago to DC to work in politics and get his PhD in international relations. But 
He, he, he loved movies, always loved movies. And I guess one day his dad told him, yeah, you should look into doing that. And he was like, I don't I don't really think you make a career out of that. And then I guess he just didn't like what he was doing in D.C. So he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to try it. So he started taking some night classes on film theory um, in Chicago, which is where he was from. Follow your dream, kids. Exactly. You might make the roommate. Well, wow. <laughs> okay. Wow. Be selective when you follow your dreams, kids. At least he made something. This is true. Trust me, he actually has some good things under his belt. This is just, in my opinion, isn't one of them. But Oh, I so, know. I, it, he blew my mind when I read his whole, like, IMDb. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, I have some questions about what you've written. Well, hmm. okay. So it, it, also important to note, he found his love of horror after getting into the business. So he didn't have that innate love of it when he started trying to get into films. But okay, he drives up to Los Angeles to get a job, um, but he got a job as an unpaid intern. Uh, then he started working at a production company. And his job there was to find and develop scripts. But he wanted m a more hands-on role. So he gets a job at Vertigo Entertainment, a film production company that did the American remakes of uh, The Ring and The Grudge. Nice. Okay. His first job there was actually producing the 2006 Sandra Bullock Keanu Reeves romance, The Lake House. Mm -hmm. This was my like big thing where I'm like, I worship The Lake House. I think it's another great movie. Mm -hmm. Any movie that just has the rules set, they're like, this is a time traveling mailbox. No one questions it. We're going to yeah. work with it. It was so funny. So I was a piece of shit because I was working at a movie theater when this came out. And I, I loved this movie. I remember like, because oh, you know, back when you had film, you had to like watch the movies a day or two in advance to like check the film to make sure there were no issues. And it was always like the all the employees were like, okay, which ones, which movies are you going to watch? And, and the Lake House was opening up against The Breakup, uh, the Vince Vaughn, Jennifer Aniston movie. And mm. everyone Thank wanted to you. go see that because that was supposed to be like, you know, oh, the big movie, the comedy of the summer. And I was like, well, I want to go see the Magic Mailbox movie and mm -hmm. cried my eyes out and then i saw the, the breakup and i did not like it although my husband tells me that i would like it now as an older person <laughs> probably yeah the thing with the breakup is it's not really a comedy like it's actually a very sad depressing movie it's about a bummer. A breakup. yeah <laughs> but anyway i would actually uh, as ticket taker that weekend i would tell people with the, uh, with tickets to the breakup um you should go see the lake house instead <laughs> oh my god no one appreciated that. No, nobody wants to hear that after they bought their ticket. Yeah, but I, I was a real <laughs> shitty 17-year-old. But anyway, the first movie he, he was actually in charge of was 2008's The Strangers. And he would stay with that film's director, Brian Bertino, and produce his underrated 2016 film, The Monster, as well as 2020's The Dark and the Wicked. So you can see, like, even though he's done mm -hmm. filmmaking and screenwriting, he stayed in that producer field and actually shepherded some really solid horror films. I was going to say, those three are all really good sidebar patreon plug we have an audio commentary on the strangers if people want to go and listen to it yes um he also had hands though in a string of crap like the j-horror remake shutter with joshua jackson oh i watched that way too much and i'm like do i like this film because i keep wanting to watch it like <laughs> once a year i mean sometimes we just get addicted to not always good movies and right? actually i i called it a j-horror remake i actually think the original shutter is a thai film so my it bad is. yeah um, he also produced the Sarah Michelle Gellar Lee Pace mystery possession where like oh, her husband Lee Pace and oh. his brother like go into a coma. But then one of the brothers wakes up thinking he's the other brother. Yeah, it's a yeah. no. It's not good. Um, the other one is the Jennifer Lawrence starring film, The House at the End of the Street. Yeah, that one's also kind of lifetimey. Like, I've seen many movies on the Lifetime channel that are kind of very similar to that. You know, right. I've never seen that one. I, I remember, I don't remember what the ending is, but I remember reading about it and spoiling myself. And I was like, this is 
weird. And it, it, I've always been curious about it in the sense that maybe the ridiculous ending will make up for, you know, the first hour and 15 minutes of generic nonsense. I mean, am I, did he wait? Did he write that one? You know, he just produced that one. He produced it. OK, I was going to be like, oh, if he wrote that one, I have some beef with one of the lines in that film is where like they're just sitting there and he's like, I like to get up really early because all of the good thoughts haven't been thought yet. And I'm like, <laughs> where do you get off? Oh, no. <laughs> well, okay. So what's funny though, his quote on producing, and I, this is just verbatim. He goes, you just kind of move up there and then you find some projects. And then one day, uh, well, no one wants to produce this thing. Do you want to have a go? And this thing was a teenage single white female. At least they're acknowledging it. I love the fact that we're not trying to pretend, oh, no, this is an original thing. We're not really doing that. We're not paying homage to it. It's like, no, we're fully admitting that's what we're trying to capitalize on. They know it's not going to be great. They're like, hey, no one else wants to touch this piece of crap. You don't really have work. Do you want to try? Well, that's kind of, I mean, look, it it, it becomes very clear in like the way they talk about this. This is just another job for them. Like, you know, and it's yeah, fine. That's totally fine. We don't have to put any effort into it. That's okay. So he had a bunch of writers coming in and he would say, hey, um, if you write this screenplay for this like single white female in college thriller, we will sell it. This is, of course, from his production company that he's working at. Anything he got, he didn't like. So he was like, screw it. I'll just write it myself. And that's what he did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If you want it done right. It was originally called Friend, and he wrote it under a pseudonym so it would get fair play in the marketplace. Um, so no one in his company knew he wrote it. And then it became the roommate once Screen Gems acquired it for distribution. But I, just to give you an idea of the timeline here, I found an article on Variety from July of 2008 saying that Screen Gems had acquired this screenplay and, you know, going on like, Hmm. oh, you know, like uh, it was done under a fake name by this producer. And when it came out, he was revealed to be the writer, blah, blah, blah. Um, That's two years before filming started on this movie. Weird. So they they sold it, but then sat on it. For two years? I was like, well, what were they doing? (laughs) They were trying to make it a good movie. I guess. But he also served as executive producer in the film. So he's at least, it's again, one of those cases where the screenwriter is also on set during the filming to have like a say-so. Sure. Okay. Okay. To direct the film, they secured Oscar-nominated Danish director Christian E. Christensen. Um, His nomination, by the way, was for Best Live Action Short Film back in 2008. Good for him. Every time I say his name, though, I think about Romy and Michelle that, I'm Christy Masters Christensen. (laughs) 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 But I found an interview with him um, on the blue, I think it's on the Blu-ray of the film. It's one of the featurettes. And this is- It's got a Blu-ray? Uh, oh, maybe a DVD. Maybe it was the DVD. Because um, you're like, there's a Blu-ray and I don't own it. <laughs> I own the DVD. What the hell? <laughs> well, this is his insight on making a thriller. And I quote, to make a thriller, you have to have different ingredients. We need to have the technique of it, the way it's shot, the whole mood of it, the look of it, and certainly the story. End of sentence. <laughs> oh, no, baby. Why are we saying the story last? <laughs> red flag, red flag. <laughs> You know what? It's fine. He's probably like, I got a feature film that's great. Um, anyway, true. The roommate was released by Screen Jams on February third, twenty eleven, and opened in the number one spot with fifteen million dollars. Um, the mm-hmm. only other new release that weekend was the R-rated action thriller, and James Cameron produced Sanctum. Has anyone seen that? I've seen that. Is it good? <laughs> I don't remember. No, oh, <laughs> that probably a no. tells us what <laughs> we need to know. <laughs> 
The budget for The Roommate was $16 million, so it actually almost made back its money all its opening weekend, which is good because mm-hmm. the second weekend it was in release, there were four new releases, and so it dropped to, to the number five slot that weekend. But yeah, we got a final domestic gross of $37.3 million and an international gross of $3.2 million for a worldwide total of $40.5 million. Um, you know, again, $60 million budget. Uh, Joe, what was the budget for The Covenant last week? It was 20. 20 million. Mm. Now, okay, and I'm actually being genuine here. Where did the money for The Roommate go? I was about to ask that. There's a bunch of <laughs> shitty effects in that movie. That That's clear where that $20 million went. Where did it go in this movie? <laughs> yeah. It all went to Billy Zane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Francis <Maybe>. Fisher, actually. <laughs> like Academy yeah. Award nominee Francis Fisher is like, uh-huh, $10 million. How do we attract adults to this project? We need to actually pay them above scale. Yeah. Critical reception was overwhelmingly negative. And it's funny, Joe, because I remarked last week how The Covenant might be the worst reviewed film we have ever covered on this podcast with a mm-hmm. 4% Rotten Tomatoes score and an average score of 2.9 out of 10. Well, y'all, um, one week later, and my foot's in my mouth, The Roommate has a 3% Rotten Tomatoes score and an average score of 2.8 out of 10. And whereas Letterboxd users have awarded, quote unquote, The Covenant a 4.4 out of 10, they've given mm-hmm. The Roommate a 4.2 out of 10. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> and here's the thing. I actually rated The Covenant worse than this because I think The Covenant is so horrifically bad. Um, This movie, I just find to be just so plainly generic and unexciting. Like, I don't like it's, you know, they they got a movie on a big screen. Good for them. But like, at at worst, this movie is boring. Um, But so is The Covenant. It's just worse in my opinion. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. There's something I think more disappointing about this film it might just be because like Ali I recognize so many of these actors and I don't think any of us are going to die on the hill of saying these are fantastically talented actors but we all know what they're capable of in long form serial storytelling and they can hit better emotional beats and do more Mm -hmm. so it's somewhat disappointing to say okay so you had the idea we're going to remake single white female we're going to cast all of these hot up and comers who we know can probably do well with the target audience but we're not going to give them anything to do we're not going to let them actually perform it's just going to be very thoroughly eh. yeah i i fully agree but did you guys also know that this movie was nominated for seven awards well how many of them were mtv movie awards and how many were razzies okay so two were mtv movie awards for mm-hmm. best villain leighton yes. meester and best scared as shit performance by minka kelly <laughs> She she's not what? scared until the last five minutes. <laughs> and she's barely scared then. She's like confused. <laughs> it should have been Ali Mashaka for the oh. for the shower scene. She's the scene stealer in the movie. She's actually scared. Yeah. yeah. Got for five Teen Choice Awards. Oh, None of these awards. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But I, I will say this. I, I think a, a, a reason why I'm also so hard on this movie is because um, I mean, it, it's kind of like bringing me back to those post-Scream days where so many quote-unquote real horror fans were like, ew, the post-Scream slashes are a bunch of like WB stars and it's so boring and bland and whatever. And I'm like mm-hmm. watching a show, watching a movie like this. And I'm like, yeah, this is like that kind tracks. of the complaints that those people were having about movies like Urban Legend or Valentine. But... Also, because I know that most of these actors and actresses can do much better work 
I mean, shit, look at the shows they're on. Like, how many mm-hmm. layers does Leighton Meester get to play on Gossip Girl as Blair Waldorf? She is the queen. She has fun here with the little she's given to do, but also Rebecca doesn't do enough crazy... I mean, look, yes, she she puts a cat in a dryer, which is horrifying but oh I, yeah know, that's not yeah. an okay scene no but 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 again like we don't there's not enough stuff like that to let her get to kind of have fun with the evilness of this role yeah they really bland her up as a villain truly it, it's kind of surprising how little ends up happening in terms of ooh disturbing things like there's a couple of moments where you think oh that's a sure sign that this person is a quote-unquote wackadoodle but at the same time it's like we barely even kill anybody in this movie and i would have thought we'd just be dropping bodies it really leads you to believe that like a lot of shenanigans is going down like you think that ali's character tracy is gonna die yes but like that's kind of it and then her friend who i don't even remember what her name was the third in their little trio. Yeah. Who, who is uh, she? Kim, yes. Who just disappears out of the fucking movie. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I mean, again, they, they, there's just so many... I mean, look, there can't be a wrong decision because it's art. Although I would argue this is less a work of art and more of a business transaction. It does it feel feels like, like that, it. right? It's by the numbers. We looked at single white female. We crunched how to do key sequences, key characters, plot developments, and so on. And then we just wrote in teen version. Yes. And then shot it. Yeah. And they hired people who, at that point in time, were still very popular, and yes. people would go to the theaters to see them. Like I would, I thousand percent went because I'm like, fuck yeah, Blair Waldorf. I'd see you yeah. kill someone. Sure, Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's a spooky film with Blair Waldorf and a bunch of other people from WB shows. But, mm-hmm. We all went to the theater. But to go back to my point, though, I feel like people that would turn their nose up at this and be like, oh, it's, because now it's CW, you know, oh, it's like a shitty CW like cast of whatever. And it's like, OK, but mm-hmm. that's doing a disservice to the actual quality work that is on the CW. I, I, I'm I'm just very defensive of CW shows because I think that some of them are genuinely good. They are. I well, agree. Formerly. Now we don't do anything on the CW because they got bought and sold and they don't make teen shows anymore. But yes, right. I I'm taking your point. I see exactly what you mean, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Awesome. Um, But that's all I got. So let's talk about what happens in this movie. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to lie. So little happens that I ended up overcompensating, and I had to get my notes down from four pages of plot to the usual standard about two and a half to three. (laughs) Okay. Wow, I love this this film, and I have two pages of notes. (laughs) Excellent. Okay, so we open the film with an introduction to Sarah, played by Minka Kelly, and she is moving into her UCLA dorm room, and she is a little bit sad because she has arrived first, so even though she gets to pick the bed, she was looking forward to meeting her roommate. Oh, sad nose. Fun fact, um, Minka Kelly was 30 years old, playing an 18-year-old in this movie. Oh, we want to play that game, do we? All right, you you opened it, so we're going to play the same game that we did with last week's The Covenant. So, oh, no! Uh, <laughs> oh, no! Let's do so, it! So, Allie, since you were not here for The Covenant, I would like you to tell me who is the oldest and the youngest actor in this film. Francis Fisher is the oldest. Oh, <laughs> Wait, I think you mean old, <laughs> among the, the quote-unquote teens, right? Yes, oh, okay. I was like, guys, you have to make this harder. Okay. Um, I want to say the youngest is either Nina or Allie, and then the oldest was Cam. Okay. You're pretty close. Uh, so you've got the youngest, so it's either Nina or Cat Graham as Kim. They would be either 21 or 22 when this movie was filmed. And, uh, okay, Trace, your guess for oldest. 
Man, okay, so I I know Minka Kelly was 30 when she made it, but mm-hmm. oh, I'm I'm going to say Cam Gagan Dead is the oldest. I'm going to say he is. Okay, so he is actually the third oldest. He ah! is 28 or what? 29. <laughs> the Ooh. oldest is Daniil Ackles, who would have been 31 or 32. So that's Irene. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Which um, kind of tracks, because I I legitimately, I think, Ali, you already said this, I cannot figure out how old Irene is supposed to be, or how she and Sarah even know each other, because they yeah, seem like Yeah, I have like a lot they, of comments like, on that. How does she have a whole career, and I was so Sarah's confused. just going into <laughs> Also, college. is she, like, just, out? like, she just graduated last year, but they're somehow best friends? And also, like, why does Sarah's dad call her to check up on Sarah? Mm-hmm. I have so many questions. I have so many questions about this. I also have a big issue with them saying that Des Moines, Iowa is a small town. <laughs> oh, is it not? I, I assumed mean, Iowa was a small town. So, I, I, wow. look, I checked this. So, granted, the, the population of Des Moines is, a, is about 250,000 people, which... Compared to the 3 million people in L.A., yes, it's much smaller. But Mm -hmm. I would never call the city of Des Moines (laughs) a small (laughs) town. (laughs) It definitely feels like an East Coast, West Coast. Like, we don't actually know what the center's about. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, so Sarah's moving in. She's eager to meet her roommate. She keeps waiting. But in the meantime, she has a run-in or a near run-in with Tracy, who is played by... Ali Mishaka, and Tracy invites her out for drinks with her roommate, Kim, who's played by Kat Graham. So since the roommate has not appeared, Sarah agrees to go, and uh, we immediately get ourselves into a Rufi Kalata situation where she is being fed these drinks and apparently doesn't recognize that there is alcohol, but also how are you selling these drinks to people and not telling them that there's alcohol in it? Because Again, it's a frat questions. house. It's a frat party. Yeah, they're not selling these yeah, drinks. Yeah, if but- you don't load it up with the frat boy punch into your bedroom then like you have to do kitchen duty but okay Oof. here's the thing though I, <laughs> not so a keen I, sentence <laughs> i was gonna say that is rape culture right there folks i saw the minka kelly is 30 and playing an 18 year old in this movie fact before i started watching it and so i watched it and i was like you know yeah she looks she does not look 18 but it's passable what did not sell it for me though was when a person who looks like minka kelly could not tell there was booze in this punch i was like mm-hmm. oh you are dumb and you look way too old to be knowing to, not to <laughs> yeah you, you're too old to be this dumb <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but hey she's from small town des moines so you know right apparently if you're from des moines you can't figure out how to navigate a social circle in la and you're going to get roofied and Terrible. you can't you can't taste booze in trash can punch i guess i don't know exactly oh, you're boy. just at des moines you're drinking grain alcohols when you get this punch you're like there's nothing in this <laughs> <laughs> apologies to everyone in des moines Oh, is your fan base large there? I'm very sorry, everyone. <laughs> Iowa. It is not. Our fan base is big <laughs> in LA and New York. So you know what? We're covered. We're no, fine. I think we are on the Des Moines side. The movie is not on Des Moines side. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Also, uh, complete, like, not side note, but the band that uh, our lovely Cam, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. whatever his name is, yes. Steven, Steven. Is that his name? Steven. Yeah. Steven. Uh, that's a, a real band. And I am convinced that because that tv show greek had just ended and their whole thing was they had an in-house frat band which ended up being the plain white tees like shout out to delilah yeah yeah, they were like we should have this in-house frat band it's gonna be so cool they're actually called seamus and that's them playing and cam can play the drums so he sat in for their drummer and the drummer sat in for the singer 
And okay. they had two songs on the soundtrack. And of course never, they did. Yeah, like that. It was one of those things where I was so curious and I was like, huh. They bought $7 million worth of tickets on opening weekend, accounting for half of the domestic gross. <laughs> I, I will say this, and this is my gold star to this movie. Um, I... Mm-hmm. I don't dislike Cameron Gadet, but I have never found him particularly charismatic. Like, he's a pretty face, sure, but, like, nothing I have seen him in has given me, like, oh, yeah, you deserve to be here. Um, wow. I actually like him in this movie. <laughs> I think he's okay. There are times where I wish he was a bit of a better boyfriend to Sarah, but, I mean, I think you could make that complaint about nearly every character in this film, where they're just never really realizing their potential. I challenge you, Trace. You need to go back and watch Burlesque because he is wearing guy liner for days. Uh, he looks hot and, as fuck behind the yeah. bar. And he wears a cookie box over his dick. I, I've seen Burlesque three times. I will, Joe, I will never like Burlesque as much as you like Burlesque. I don't understand why people like Burlesque. <laughs> because it's what? fucking what? great it's and Cher, very It's stupid. Christina Aguilera. No, look. Yes. It's Coyote Ugly, but with burlesque dancers. But yes. like so much tamer. So much tamer than Coyote Ugly. And it's not even real burlesque. Oh, no, it's No, they don't know what burlesque, burlesque is. That's what I love. She... Sorry, sidebar on the whole roommate <laughs> conversation. There's a moment in Burlesque where Christina Aguilera, after she like, I want to work here. I want to sing and dance here. She goes out and buys an entire bed's worth of books on Burlesque. And you're just like, well, clearly nobody else did that when they were writing this movie because none of this is fucking Burlesque except the one number where she strip teases. Look, the the best part of that movie is Kristen Bell yelling to Cher, I will not be upstaged by some slut with mutant lungs. <laughs> I was literally just going to say that, but the mutant lungs comment, I'm like, that is Christina, though. Like, her yeah, in a, her, really. her youth, I was like, how does this girl have these lungs? She is a okay, baby. But that movie sense. also has, like, four different bad guys, because it has Kristen Bell, it mm-hmm. has Eric Dane, who's going to buy the club. Yes. I think there's someone else who's kind of a bad guy in it. That, that movie's so confused, and it's Peter not Gallagher. Yes! Because yeah. he wanted to sell the, from the OC. <laughs> also from the OC. Yeah. No, it's uh, a mess. All of these movies are messy. But, you know, that came out at the same time period as this. I think it was the same year as this. It's 2011. <laughs> oh, my God. The best year, cinematically. Clearly the best year. Oh, I'm sorry. Burlesque is 2010, everyone. <gasps> Get your facts I mean, that's Jesus basically Christ. 2011. <laughs> okay, wait. It, um, but it came out in November, which just came out in February of 11. So Burlesque comes out three months before the roommate can be uh, working it's it's the gigging the gigging renaissance is that a thing no we'll make it happen okay well he, yeah, I mean, yeah. he had like a one-two punch because 2009 was like oh I, no was he twilight oh, those years oh that was mm. 2008 pandorum was 09 uh, burlesque was 2010 pandorum. and the roommate was 2011 i forgot about pandorum pandorum was like the descent in space with dennis quaid uh, yeah oh, it's uh wait oh, it's the sam neil sorry that's event horizon yeah no it's more event horizon, horizon is sam neil oh yeah okay i'm sorry it's like event horizon had a baby with the descent that's what pandorum <laughs> is there we go <laughs> I love it. Bo- that's the title on the box cover. <laughs> or just make that movie because all we yes. do is recycle shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so all this to say, we're back to the movie. Yeah. Sarah is having this cute but also uncomfortable 
interaction with Steven, and he ends up coming to her rescue and by proxy Tracy when Tracy starts stripping on the stairs. Good friend. Good friend to, to, to take her home like this. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I saw people get shit-faced messy the first couple of weeks of uni, so this rung true to me. Same here, but also all of the old tech alerts, like all their little flip phones up trying to take a photo. I'm like, I hope oh. you enjoy that greenie. Oh. <laughs> It's going to be like, is that a pixel or a tit? I can't tell. Yeah. And you're far enough away that you're like, are those nipples? Well, because when did the iPhone really like take, I mean, it would have been like shortly after this. I feel like when the iPhone started like taking over like flip phones. Yeah. Around this time, but it would have been very expensive. Going to the University of Los Angeles. So they're clearly all poor. They're all super rich. Community college. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The iPhone 5 was 2012. So there you go. There we go. Okay. That was a lifetime ago. <laughs> so Stephen ends up escorting Sarah back to her dorm. It's all very cute. And she ends up having this drunken interaction with the roommate, Rebecca, <gasps> who's played by Leeton Meester. It's not the best of introduction. She immediately runs out of the room so that she can puke. But the next day, she and Rebecca decide they're going to get up. They're going to go to the bookstore, get ready for classes. And we're getting all kinds of backstory exposition when Sarah's phone rings. And it's her ex, Jason, who will be voiced and later played by Matt Lanter. Man, I don't think he even shares a scene with Minka Kelly. No, he has like (laughs) one scene with Leighton Meester. Which is his death scene. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is his death scene there's also a scene where he plays against no one except for the building and he's like hello sarah i'm here i flew in from des moines <laughs> or wherever he went to school no I think he, he went, went to, to brown there we go brown, like brown also because i'm just like such a bitch did this like what is her deal she was like i got into brown but then he didn't so we both went to ula but then he got into brown so he went First of mm-hmm. all, I looked on the Brown website, and unless it's titled something completely different, there is no courses in fashion at Brown. So oh. what was she? She was just going there to be with her boyfriend. But she also, was felicitying him. She was felicitying him. Oh, no. Well, okay, but but right, reality aside, <laughs> this was a dick move on his part, and I fully oh, support her sure. decision to, bring in yeah. that, to end that relationship. 100%. 100%. To the point that I I was fully in support of her not even taking his calls. 100%. Yeah, I don't know but I also wanted did. that to get like, res- like to have a conflict or a confrontation between the two of them and with none none of that. Also, she with the, everything even... that happens with like Leighton Meester and this Jason feller, you think mm-hmm. at one point Jason would finally get a hold of Minka Kelly and be like, Hey, so that phone sex thing we had the other night was hot. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? Like, leave her another message. Also, Sarah never even learns that he dies. No! Oh, well, okay. Well, no, she does say at the end, I took care of him for you, but doesn't explicitly say <laughs> that I And everybody him. knows that taking care of stuff means you set it on fire. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or you put it in a dryer. Or tied it to a bed and just like Seven did for a couple okay. of weeks. Why? I'm sorry. Why doesn't she kill Irene? She... Like, why is Irene alive on that bed? It makes no sense. Like, why does Jason get murdered and Irene is just hanging out? I don't know. Good jump scare. I will say that that is is a good jump scare when she, like, wakes up in that bed. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm, like, the opposite. I'm, like, this girl walks into the apartment. She's shouting Irene a bunch. And then when she gets to the bed, then she jump scares. And I'm, like, where where was this the entire time? But, like, (laughs) the freeze frame of this actress's face, like, taped up, like. (laughs) Shocking. Shocking and appalling. The movie yes. terrified teenagers. <laughs> Don't get a roommate after this. Truly. Just move every second bed out of every room into the hall. You've fixed all your problems. 
Okay, so uh, we learn, yes, about this breakup with Jason. We also learn that Rebecca is mega rich and money will not be a problem for her. We'll also see this with her wardrobe, which Sarah just covets and lusts after. Yeah, because it's all designer stuff. But it's like barely designed. She's like, I've only seen some of these and like the pages of Vogue. And I'm like, do you think you're looking at haute couture? Like you are <laughs> looking at what looks like H&M at best. Right. Like, Miranda Priestly isn't dying at this wardrobe. We'll put it that way. We'll get back to Miranda Priestly, though. <laughs> the Devil Wears Prada stuff in this movie is ridiculous. I, 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 do, I actually kind of love that part. <laughs> we'll go to the party if I can style you. What? Okay. No, I have such beef with that scene, too. Okay, I have beef with a lot of movies, apparently, but I still love it. <laughs> oh, no, we're turning you against it. <laughs> no, I'm all for I watched it, like, twice in, like, two days, and I watch it, like, twice a year. Oh my god, I had trouble keeping my eyes open for this movie, but more power to you. Okay, so also in the cafeteria, Rebecca refuses Tracy and Kim's attempts to give her a nickname. They're like, we're going to call I you Becky or whatever. And I was like, yeah. this Becky is not what Reba. you do the first time you meet someone. I thought that too, but also like if she introduced herself as Rebecca, good chance that she doesn't want a nickname. Exactly. So again, again, this is me looking at like trivia for this movie and before I've seen the movie. And so it's like, oh, Minka Kelly's character doesn't learn that Rebecca is insane until the hour mark, which by the way... That's, I think, when she discovers the pills. Um, right. but, <gasps> Oof, beef with that. But, I, but, but she doesn't even learn that she's, like, you know, killing people and doing stuff until, like, the last five minutes of the movie. But then mm. watching this, I was like, well, honestly, when is the first, like, big red flag from Rebecca? Because I actually think it's past the 30-minute mark of the movie. Because her reaction in this scene is completely normal. 100%. We're on her side. So let's introduce another character. So we see that Sarah is desperate to get into the design studio class of Professor Roberts, who is played by Billy Zane, of all people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love me some Zane. I wish we got more of anything for him to do in this film. Okay, so... You know, we have this whole thing where she's trying to look. She's like, oh, please let me in your class. And he's like, no, it's like closed. Oh, I turned on 12 students before you. And then he tells her, you know, when she makes her plea, he goes, you you happen to have two things that I can't teach. And that is style and desire. And Ooh, style, style I, with that fedora. Okay, sty <laughs> style I get. But like, are you telling me the other 12 kids you turned down didn't desire to be in that class? <laughs> but also her like reasoning is like, Oh, if I can't take intro to design with you, I'll just take it next year. It's like, so you're also, again, willing to screw up all of your mm -hmm. academic achievements to just be in this one dude's class. Like, yeah, you don't explain who he is and why he's so great. It's not like everyone knows him. He's gone to fashion week every year. Like, he's just a professor. Yeah. And there are three other classes. <laughs> and also, she keeps wearing that dumb fedora. Oh my God. <laughs> fucking fedora so 2011 okay wait but really? okay, so, so what you're saying ali you do not think minka kelly has style in this movie i don't i think she's a bad friend who doesn't have style <laughs> okay i think leighton meester is the true protagonist of this film <laughs> well Ooh, hot take <laughs> Actually, in the, in 2024, I would love to see what a 2024 era, like the roommate slash single white female movie looks like. And I feel like we got a, I mean, I, I didn't see this, but I know you did, Joe. I feel like we got a taste of what this might look like with that Fatal Attraction TV series from last year. Oh, no, we didn't. Oh, not. no, we, no, no, no. <laughs> it is. Or the intent. That was the intent behind it. Nope, it wasn't. I think the, the intent, intent was show. to see Lizzie Kaplan and Joshua Jackson 
do it. Yeah, that show was the... You think that these titles are confused, Trace? That show was an epic misfire of not it's understanding so anything about what makes Fatal Attraction work. That makes me want to watch it more, yeah. to no, be honest. No, don't waste do your time. It's not, even, it's not even a curiosity factor. It's so fucking boring. All right. All yeah, right. Plus two, watch it, and it was not worth it. <laughs> like, <laughs> but no, but no, you know what I mean, right? Like, like something where it's like, we still have this woman as the villain, but... It's like exploring. Mm-hmm. I mean, this movie starts it with her fucking pills and her her mental diagnosis, but then just forgets about it. And it's like, nope, she's just crazy. Well, we're still very much in the era, even in 2011, of, oh, if you have any kind of mental illness, then you're probably also psychopathic. Like, no attempt to understand the character, no attempt at empathy, just, you know, oh, you're clearly designated the villain role and you will be psychotic for the rest of the film. Yep. Exactly. And don't do any sort of research on, you know, what people who live with bipolar mm-hmm. or schizophrenia actually go through every day. Oh, of course mm-hmm. not. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's with somebody who has like a, I have borderline personality disorders where every time this stuff gets brought in movies, I'm like, can you have done the littlest bit of research, guys? Ooh. Yeah. Um, question, Allie, is, is there a piece of a film or a television show that you think has, has portrayed or d- has like the most authentic portrayal of uh, borderline personality disorder? Mm-hmm. Um. So far, no. And this is going to sound totally weird because it's absolutely, it's not a movie, but it's a person. But Pete Davidson also has borderline personality disorder and he talks about it a lot. And I Mm. find that to be very interesting because I'm like, this guy fucking gets it. And also recently, Alan Richardson from Reacher and stuff talked Mm. openly about having bipolar and just explains it in these really interesting ways that are like, yes. All you have to do is talk to someone who actually has this and deals with it every day and, like, it gets help for it. Right. It's not, I'm going to go and kill everybody. Right. I'm not going right. to all of a sudden start stalking my roommates or questioning if my best friend has new friends, although I do do that. Every time she has like, a new <laughs> friend on Facebook, I'm like, who is this person? Do you like them more than me? Because oh. I'll kill them. Well, and, <laughs> and actually, Joe, jo, I'm, I'm sorry that I keep just bringing up other shows or talking about this movie. But I'm, I was actually curious because... um. As someone without borderline, uh, I think Crazy Ex-Girlfriend does a really good job of portraying someone with borderline and their journey from, like, not dealing with it to dealing oh, with it. I mm. haven't seen that. Ah. Oh, it's good. Yeah. But oh. I will warn you, the first season you might find very grating because it's very much the beginning of her undiagnosed journey as she moves yeah. into diagnosis. It definitely felt like that before I got diagnosed fully and was, like, properly medicated and got proper therapies. But I wasn't, again, dogging people. Right, it was right, just right. not understanding why all of a sudden my emotions would shift in a way. Yeah, and not even having the language to express how you were feeling or, or oh, hey, something has changed. Exactly, especially since because the biggest film across the board for people who have like a borderline personality disorder is Girl Interrupted, which oh, does boy. not portray it in a good way. So oh, everyone's yes. kind of like, oh, you're just like Winona Ryder and Girl Interrupted. I'm like, oh my God, no. Like, oh, no. <laughs> she had an issue and this was in like the 80s or the 70s when they didn't properly diagnose things and Mm -hmm. like no guys please no one compare it to that yeah i mean it's tough on the best of times to find accurate never mind like good representation of things like mental illness particularly Mm -hmm. in media because too often 
it's like an interesting character trait and we don't actually want to unpack it because then that quote unquote compromises the narrative, right? Like, oh, I don't want to do the work. I just want to throw something like, hey, you see these pills? Yeah, she's psychotic. But, cool. Now everybody gets it. So we can just tell our story. But that's how the, exactly. the, it just shows it. This movie doesn't care about characters. They are just, no. I was going to say they're body bags, but they're not even that. They're just no. things on screen. <laughs> they're just tropes. It's a lot of tropes, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, one thing that is not a trope or a real thing is the social media platform Mafrans with a Z. Okay, wait, that I had Frienders on it with a Z. Okay, I think we had Friendster, Allie. Does that sound? We we had Friendster and we had MySpace. Yeah, yeah but I think right, by 2011, those two were kind of gone, and it was just oh, fully done. Facebook. Wait, sorry, yes. I didn't mean I actually had something called Frienders. I had like later in the movie, the site is called Frienders, not my friends. Oh, <laughs> sorry, oh, <okay>. I. <laughs> sorry, no, I no, I did not have something called Frienders. I just meant that in in my notes from later in the film, it's called Frienders. <laughs> Right. And frienders, they're okay. like, hey, what's your name? What's your sex? Who's your favorite artist? Okay. The, <laughs> like, but hey, because I, I had to pause the screen to look at this. It, you know, it has frienders on the top big left corner of the screen for, you know, for the name of the service. And then the, mm -hmm. the tagline for this service is just, where friends meet. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess. <laughs> they could have just made it like the ULA page i mean i get it you don't want to pay for an authentic page because then you gotta license it and do all these other things but it's just i don't know i, I love fake websites in movies i love fake websites oh, in yeah. movies they're so good so fun it's like fake food companies in movies i'm always here for some <laughs> let's chips <laughs> yes. So needless to say, uh, this fake social media website is our more or less introduction to Irene, who is international jet setter, working in fashion. She's everything that Sarah wants to be. And their relationship is... Their... I've watched mark. this a ton. I've watched this so much. I'm like, so she's like a best friend slash they yeah. used to... Did they date? So I saw someone online in a review speculate that Emily was older than Sarah and that she may have been friends with Irene. So Irene is like friend of the family who Sarah still thinks of when she thinks of her dead sister question. Mark. We don't ever learn how she died. We just know that she died two days before Thanksgiving. And that's why Thanksgiving is a holiday she hates. <laughs> and that's why she's a bad daughter. I'm sorry. But like it happened. Okay, which just for the sake of staking it, it yeah. she's let's say 19 in this mm. whole scenario. So that happened a decade ago. Yeah. And she's still, you know, her parents lost a child. They only have one other daughter. Thanksgiving's coming up. It's a hard time for everyone. And she's like, I don't want to go be with my family. Fuck my family. Let them be sad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanksgiving's a sad time. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather move in with my boyfriend in the frat house. <laughs> I'd rather go to my new friend's parents' house. <laughs> God. Ugh. Um, okay. So Sarah is still trying to meet people. She's being social. So when Tracy invites her to go out that night, she agrees. But uh, Tracy fucks off for a guy with a Porsche and a jacuzzi. And she takes Sarah's phone and purse with her. Dick so we move. end up having cool. It's a huge dick move. This is 100% like, oh, like Tracy, Tracy is, is not a good friend. <laughs> no. but, but, but Tracy is also an 18 year old girl in college. 100%. Like, yeah, I'm not excusing her behavior, but, like, I mean, I, I'm not saying I've never had a friend, like, abandon me at a club to go get some snatch. Yeah. Christ. Yeah. I may have been that friend. Like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> 
things happen. <laughs> also, Trace, I forbid you from ever saying Snatch. None of my friends were looking for Snatch, I promise you. <laughs> Stop saying it. Snatchy Snatch, 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 Snatch. God. Yes, so this requires Sarah to call Rebecca for help. We have this really nice moment where the girls meet at this all-night diner. We get pancakes. We bond a little bit. And the next day, we say, you know what? Let's hang out. We're going to go to an art museum. Sarah learns that Rebecca's favorite artist is a guy named Richard Prince, and he's got this very evocative painting of a bloody nurse that Rebecca says is her favorite. It's like the most blood we'll ever see in this movie. It's a really <laughs> nice painting. It is a nice painting. I mean, I, I think this is meant to be the first big red flag. Like, right. Ooh, why would you like this disturbing art? But part of me, um, <laughs> I'm offended. I'm a horror movie watching audience member saying, oh, I'm supposed to see this girl as a threat because she likes bloody art. Like, fuck you, movie. That's what I'm watching <laughs> right now. For me in this movie, the big, like the first big red flag was when Tracy invites them both out to go clubbing and mm -hmm. her response is like clubs aren't really my thing and then everyone's like oh this girl's a fucking psychopath like how dare she not want to come to the club with us she wants to stay in Psycho. i know i'm like how there's so much judgment so much judgment. okay but there is there is and i agree like it's perfectly acceptable for a, a, a girl in college to be like clubs aren't my it's perfectly acceptable for anyone to say clubs aren't my thing however 100%. The way in which she says it is so snide towards Tracy. <laughs> and then she it gets is. up off the bed and sits on her bed. Like, now she just can't even be a part of it. Yeah. And you're like, red flag. And here's the thing. Like, <laughs> is this very childish and immature? Yes. Is it the mark of a psychopath? No. no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, in case we didn't gather by this point, Rebecca also has very strong feelings about things like tattoos, but uh, she changes that note very quickly when she realizes that Sarah has a tattoo of her dead sister's name just above the left breast. Okay, I need you to tell me if this line of dialogue is good or actually like, I'm sorry, is, is bad or actually good because I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what I think about it. Um, mm -hmm. When Sarah tells Rebecca, you're the first roommate I've had since my sister died. I, yeah, it's... Oh, boy. Because your sister died when she was nine, so... <laughs> that, like, you were just actively like, I don't want a roommate right now, guys. Listen, I know all my friends and their Polly Pockets want to move in with me, but, like, I just don't. I can't. And you're my first roommate since then. It's like, didn't you just come from your fucking house? Well, so... Like, you so were just living with your parents. She <laughs> has, like, roommate trauma from her sister's death. <laughs> Because they shared a room. Yes, and that means they're roommates. Sister equals roommate conflation in this movie. So do parents also equal roommates? <laughs> but yeah, that was... I made a note about that line as well, because it's like, what's what's wrong with you? But also, then it kind of boils down to the fact that it's also the first Thanksgiving since yes. she's been out of the house. And she's like, again, fuck my parents. I'm not going to go and see them, even though now they're officially alone and I'm not there. Oh, mm -hmm. I can't go back to the deserted wasteland that is Des Moines, Iowa. It's true. Yeah. Population five people. <laughs> I'd rather work at this coffee shop that my boyfriend's band is allowed to play in. She's also mm -hmm. really bad at her job. <laughs> like She's not good. <laughs> 
Can you make this smoothie? Well, she's not good, but it's also a huge dick move if you're courting someone or trying to get them to go on a fucking date with you to show up in the middle of their shift and be like, hi, I need to ask you out on a date. It's like, bitch, wait for a break. While she has a line of 50 people out the door. Yeah, I worked at a food court and a dude definitely did that to me. And I was like, I'm in the middle of my shift. Either buy some frozen yogurt or leave. Yeah, I don't want to get fired. And then he bought some frozen yogurt. And I was like, well, now we can talk while I make it. God. <laughs> okay. So let's introduce the thing that is absolutely supposed to put us off of Rebecca. So we have Sarah out and she discovers the adorable baby pussy named Cuddles. If I can't say snatch, you can't say pussy. <laughs> oh, but I just. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I wrote in my notes. This cat's going to die. 100%. Like, we don't introduce animals into these kinds of movies unless we're going to threaten them or kill them off. Also, how do we feel about, she's basically an adult who can drink and party and go to clubs. And then she names this cat that she finds in the street who, you don't know where this cat's been. It could have diseases. And then she names it Cuddles. Like, are you four? This is my kitty cat, Cuddles. But also, she's never home to take care of that cat. No, that's not her it's problem. It's not even a cat. It's a it's a kitten. This thing yeah. would require attention. Yeah, exactly. I uh, mm. <laughs> and yeah, the animal killing is nothing new. You know, we've got the bunny and fatal attraction. We've got the dog that gets dropped out the window and single white female. Like it's just something mm-hmm. these movies do. And I, I I will say when she puts it in that dryer, I was like, oh oh okay, yeah. this is kind of clever. It's upsetting. It is upsetting. And not that I want to see this dryer turn on. Like, I I did not want to see that. But it was also just kind of like, oh, well, we're just taming this down because it's PG-13. We can't upset people too much, even though we're killing a cat. But also, did she just leave it in the dryer? Well, and that's the thing. We don't know. It's this movie saying, oh, my God, it's so shocking. Look at what a fucking psycho this girl is because she's going to kill this adorable kitten. Sarah doesn't even fucking find out. Yeah, only we know this as an audience. Which is just, what? It's a missed opportunity. And this doesn't happen until after the hour mark, too. So the cat, so again, she's still like, there's like. Other stuff happens. (laughs) Yeah, but but at this point in the film, you know, yes. She's maybe made a couple remarks where you're like, oh, like, maybe you need to like make another friend or something. But nothing that screams like I'm a a, a serial killer. (laughs) Yeah. So we also get this moment where Rebecca has clearly gone through the room while Sarah was away, and she has found her sister's necklace and put it on. And this is where we we get a little bit more about how Sarah still doesn't feel good about the way that her sister passed. And she says, you can go through any of my stuff, you can borrow anything that you want, but just don't touch the necklace. It's the most important item I have, which of course automatically makes it the only thing that Rebecca will go after. Of course. Yeah. That's one of those lines where I'm like, that's a fair thing to say. Like, hey, you can touch anything you want, but this is actually like really important to me. Please don't touch it. Like, that's a fair thing to ask of someone. Yeah, especially when you give them carte blanche to anything else in your room. Which like, I would take advantage of that. I'd be like, cool, sounds good. Yeah. Now, yeah. would you give up half of your closet space for your roommate? Um, See, I wouldn't because I have a lot of clothes and stuff <laughs> and things. And I would be the other one. I would be like, hi, can I actually have your closet space? Okay, thanks. <laughs> Once again, you are the Rebecca. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye. Okay, <laughs> <Hey>, thanks. <laughs> I think one of the things I wish we did a little bit more of, like, these scenes make sense because when you move in with someone, you do have to negotiate how you're going to do things like, 
when are we cleaning? You know, are you messy? Are you clean? Do you like pets? Can we have this? And like, you need to negotiate all of these things so that you don't enter into conflicts. And I guess I just wish that later on the film had addressed like, okay, we had made these agreements and now you're starting to break them as a way of escalating some of the tension. Because mm-hmm. too often it we don't really end up addressing the weird things that Rebecca's doing. Like, we'll come back to the necklace, but I think it's after Sarah is trying to move out and she's like, I can't find the necklace. And she sends Steven back to get it. LOL. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you do shit like this. <laughs> she didn't care about it that much, apparently. <laughs> well, she's so terrified at that point. She just needs to leave. Yeah, yeah so she, ter- she takes pills. So mm-hmm. terrified she got that Teen Choice Award MTV nomination. <laughs> <laughs> Best frightened performance. Just so scared. 2011 is a weak year, apparently. (laughs) Hey, they were just nominated. We don't know who won that year. This is true. This is true. (laughs) Oh my god, but who who would want to look that up? Well, because I'm thinking 2011 also would have been the year Insidious came out. But no, yeah, it was. I was like, maybe Rose Byrne, but that's not teeny enough. So Final Destination 5 came out and Scream 4 and Paranormal Activity 3, Cabin in the Woods, the new Thing movie. I looked this up prior because I was curious. Ooh, I could imagine a Scream 4 thing. Yeah. Oh, oh my. Okay, y'all, I'm sorry. You're going to, you're never going to guess who won this, but I will tell you the nominees. <laughs> okay. Ooh, yes. It, it is, the actual award is called the Best Scared as Shit Performance. Um <laughs> The yeah. first winner of this award was Dakota Fanning in 2005 for the movie Hide and Seek. Hide we should and tell seek. you yep. all yep. you need to know about this. Uh, okay, here are your nominees. Minka Kelly for The Roommate. Ashley Bell for The Last Exorcism. Oh, okay. Ryan Reynolds in Buried. Oh. Jessica Shore in Piranha 3D. Hey. And Elliot Page in Inception. Inception? What? Mm-hmm. I never took... Huh. scared in that movie and i will tell you right now the winner was elliot page for inception <laughs> I, I, you know what though it's because inception was the biggest film on that list so most oh, sure. people saw it i i think it was maybe like i don't know one of the sequences like elliot page probably looked scared because they were driving off a bridge into the water or something <laughs> sure. genuine terror God. What a weird category, too. But also, what a horribly, like, again, like, I'm like, Insidious came out this year, and that's not even on the ballot. Also, neither is Scream 5 or Cabin in the Woods. Like, there were so many other things that could be in this. Hmm. Scream yeah. 4. Did I say 5? I didn't mean You that. said 4 no, it was four. and then 5. Yeah. Okay, I meant Scream 4. Yeah, uh, none of that. Scream 4 was never nominated for this particular category. Although I, I, that definitely did get to the nomination some year. I mean, also, y'all, the 2013 winner of the Scared of Ship performance was the kid from Life of Pi. What? Because he was in that boat with that tiger? Yeah, he was really scared, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the tiger wasn't Very even there. Scared. I mean, it doesn't say in a horror film. No, it doesn't. But It doesn't. Like... That's on us. <laughs> it's just, it's odd. Okay. Okay, so Tracy ends up apologizing for stranding Sarah at the club and forcing her to call Rebecca for help. But also, uh, Rebecca overhears this apology, and I love Leighton Meester's face where she's just super unimpressed. Oh, yeah. She's Wait. Like... <laughs> Did we go past the scene where after she says, like, uh, she got two tickets to that Richard Price show and, like, no, that's a super odd right thing. now. And then she pierces her okay. ear. Okay, I did like this, though. This was good. But also as someone who's, like, pierced their own body, it's mm-hmm. a bit harder than just jamming an earring through it. 
Oh, 100%. The fact that her earlobe doesn't get infected after this scene is the most unrealistic part of this movie. But also when she's like, I'll go on one condition and then gives her a jacket and she's like, oh, who designed this? Oh, you're such a designer whore. It's like, no, but like, did you make this? Why why is this your one condition of going that I wear your shitty flea market coat? Mm-hmm. Do you well, want me to say your name if someone asks me? Like, what, yeah. is, what is the purpose of this? Which, what is the purpose of this? It's You're not styling her. You're just giving her a coat. But it's a condition. <laughs> I mean, it's very true. She literally gives her a coat and then says, here, wear these earrings. And she's like, oh, God, I don't have my it's ears. It's her pierced. only condition. Unless, right? unless in another draft of this script, it was her sister's jacket. And that's the one thing she has left from her memory. Sure. That would work better. It could, but also, what's the age difference between her and her sister if she was nine? Is this an 11 year old coat? (laughs) (laughs) Like, the sister subplot just doesn't work except to be kind of emotionally manipulative when we get to the, ooh, I also got a tattoo. And you're just like, but you didn't explain anything about the fucking sister except that she died. Also, okay, why wouldn't she have just gotten Sarah's name tattooed on her chest and be like, look, we have matching tattoos? Yeah. It's... Yeah, it's that part doesn't make It doesn't sense. make any sense. <laughs> but but that's the legitimate crazy. Supposedly. Yeah. Well, I think that's where they kind of leaned into the whole single white female where it's like, do you want to be her or be on her? Like right, right. Yeah. Well, Actually, okay, uh, I don't think we've actually gotten to this. Uh, you know, I'll wait till we talk about no, it. No, we, we have jumped all over the place now. Yeah, but g- continue, Joe. <laughs> okay, let me get us back on track. So the next sequence is when Tracy comes out of her room and she finds Rebecca sitting outside her dorm room. Yeah, totally and normal. And she tries to warn Sarah that Rebecca is a quote-unquote psycho. And I'm not going to lie, I understand that Tracy has had some weird interactions with her, but if I go outside of my room, like, Mm -hmm. I often saw people just hanging out in the hall. Yeah, it's a little bit weird, but also, that doesn't make Rebecca a psycho. Well, uh... Okay. I mean, I actually, the way she stares at her yeah. and then like gets in her face is weird. But also, who doesn't do that? That just seems like a normal roommate like thing her. to do. No, but okay, yeah. but it, it, okay, but it looks like she's been waiting out there for her to answer the door just so she could do. Like, I'm sorry, this is this would be something. Like, I don't think Tracy Ali Machalka does a good enough job of explaining this <laughs> to Sarah. No. She just says she was outside like, my door, and it's like, okay, I guess. Yeah, that, that okay. makes it sound normal. That how y'all are describing it. Okay, so we get this scene in class where Sarah debates fashion and style, and she's really acing it. She's impressing Professor Roberts, and then Rebecca is waiting for her outside of class with coffee. But because Tracy warned her, Sarah basically takes the coffee and runs so that she can go hang out with Irene, who we finally get to meet in person. She's played by Danielle Ackles, and then she also goes to meet Stephen in the library. So it's like, I don't want to hang out with my roommate i want to go and hang out with mentor chic lesbian as we'll find out and then also future boyfriend and i do at least the one one i like that we have explicit queerness in this film that is something mm-hmm. i give it credit for yeah and and irene seems like a reasonably cool character i mean she's kind of not a character which is a problem but what we see of her she seems neat neat lesbians <laughs> slap it on the what poster. a neat lesbian <laughs> <laughs> i love a neat lesbian <laughs> Like I first saw us in theaters, I was like, oh, she's a lesbian. He's going to make out with Leighton Meester. And I'm excited for that scene. Uh-huh. I think it was in all the trailers, too. 
I mean, because she is a lesbian, right? Irene? Yes. No, no, no. Uh, 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 Rebecca. Yeah, I kind of did that. And I've watched this, again, so many times that I'm like, so is she in love? with sarah like or is she a predatory lesbian or is it they well, were like no 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 she is just a girl who is totally fine with kissing other girls to get what she wants like it feels like this movie was written and directed by men well yes it was <laughs> <laughs> it was <laughs> but i think all of the points you've identified the answer is just yes she's a villain she doesn't need to have a sexual orientation well, and we were doing girls kissing other girls is hot, but also dangerous. Like also so dangerous. So 2011, right? Like you mentioned the OC earlier, and we yeah. fully made Marissa bisexual just so we could have her kiss Olivia Wilde. And then Cam kills her. Yes. But it's okay because he's going to save the lead in this film, so he redeems himself. Oh, full circle moment. Yay! <laughs> I love that you've abandoned trying to name him by character name. You're just like, no, it's just Cam Gigan. No, Cam Cam Gigan I don't try to pronounce his last. I'm like giant. <laughs> no, it's Gigande. That's the French way. Gigande. <laughs> yes. He's very French. Cameron. <laughs> Okay, so we've hit 30 minutes, and this to me is one of the best redeeming sequences in the film. It's the Tracy getting stalked and attacked in the shower Ooh, sequence. Joe, but which is the better shower scene? This one or last week's The Covenant shower scene? They're both so long. They're both so long. <laughs> I, I think this one is more successful because I do find parts of it legitimately tense. And the fact that... You know, Rebecca does end up attacking Tracy is mm -hmm. at least a pro compared to poor Hollow Man homages. Allie, I'm so glad you yeah. said they're both so long because one of my biggest complaints with that covenant was we spend so much time in that shower. We get Laura Ramsey out of the shower. She runs into one of the guys and then he's like, oh, well, let's go look at the shower again. So then we have to go back in the shower. <laughs> okay. Right. My... We already had this conversation. <laughs> I know. I'm just telling her because it was like, I'm glad she has the same thought. <laughs> but also like the shower scene in the covenant. Whoever did the VFX for that is great because there's always just a cloud of fog mm -hmm. over her like button boobies. You're like, oh, yeah. there's no nudity here. Nope. <laughs> Heaven well, forbid. And there's no nudity here. Ali Machalka has said that she was wearing um, a, either a swimsuit or bra and panties in this shower scene. Yeah. I think this is better disguised, though. Like, I actually think it's it better shot as well. Well, it also, because, again, my complaint with that shower scene last week was, why are we just at her ass just so we can see her tramp stamp tattoo? Whereas with mm -hmm. this one... Yeah. At least we have to see her belly button to be like, oh, she's got a piercing. That's going to come into play in just a minute. Yep. Now, question for you two. Would you rather have had Tracy actually be murdered here? Or are you comfortable with just the belly button piercing getting ripped out? I think she needed to be murdered because yeah. it makes no sense because especially because like it's not like she didn't know it was rebecca like rebecca's literally talking to her mm -hmm. as she like attacks her and yanks at her belly button ring which is a very effective scene yes. like i have had a piercing ripped out Oof, it is not great Ooh. but why wouldn't you tell someone you have proof it's her you have the assault and even though she's like if you tell anybody i'll kill you i'm like cool you're 100 pounds soaking wet i'm pretty sure this is a fair fight <laughs> that yeah that doesn't make any kind of sense to the point like, where i'm like 
killer. Also, you have cell phones. You can text Sarah and be like, girl, you will never believe what just happened to me right now. Run to her room and be like, you see what your roommate just did to me? Well, or even have that scene and then have Rebecca explain it away. You know, oh, she just hates me. She's always spreading lies about me. Like, put Sarah into a compromised position where she has to pick between the yeah. friend who continually abandons her or fucks off and the the roommate that you're just not really sure about. Like, wouldn't that have been more compelling conflict? It would have been conflict, period. Well, you know. Because you basically don't see her anymore after this whole interaction. She's just like, cool, bye, your roommate's fucking weird, I'm not talking to you anymore. Yeah. And also seems like not a good friend either. Like, no. You didn't do anything to warn her. Yeah, she she says, uh, your roommate is a fucking psycho. And then there's another point where she's briefly talking to Sarah in the quad. But when she sees Rebecca coming, she just turns heel and walks away and i think that's the last time we see tracy yeah that, that, exactly. that is literally her walking out of the movie <laughs> which is don't have her walk out of the movie have her die and just be like yeah she went home for thanksgiving right <laughs> yeah do something <laughs> it's wild it's like oh we ran out of money don't know where the money went but we ran out of it so we couldn't do another dust scene <laughs> so uh steven and sarah they basically went on a date after she met up with him in the library. And when she arrives at home, Rebecca treats her like you would a child. She's basically, why didn't you answer any of my phone calls? I was so worried. Don't do this to me again. And it's very overbearing. So in the morning, she ends up apologizing to Sarah. And Sarah you know, kind of coolly says, don't worry, we're fine. And then she heads out. And she meets up with Stephen in the library. And this is where she looks at Rebecca's friends or friendsters oh, page yeah. and she sees oh my god why am i her number one friend and this is when steven makes a not so thinly coded suggestion that rebecca has a sexual interest in sarah okay now yeah here's another knock against sarah because he's like he basically tells her like you know what i mean and she's like what what are you talking about <laughs> I'm like mm -hmm. what i'm from des moines i don't know lesbian <laughs> she's so stupid <laughs> There's no lesbians in Des Moines, so clearly she has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> girls don't like girls, okay? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Leaving room for Jesus. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things where you think, okay, 2011, I think we it's would still gay. know what he means or she would follow up, right? This movie thinks Des Moinesians are stupid. <laughs> It feels like they wrote this movie on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but but that's what I'm saying, though. Again, we had this script bought and sold two years before filming started. They had so much time to fix this thing, and no one did anything. No, it's first draft. They were like, everything's great. It all checks out. People from Des Moines are idiots. Let's do it. Allie, oh Allie. But what if, what if this is the fixed version of this mm -hmm. screenplay? Oh, no. <laughs> Then what did they leave on the floor? Like, what were they like? That's stupid. Don't put that in this movie. Well, also, let's assume that this is the best version of the script and not that he's a bit of a narcissist, but he rejected all these other writers' attempts so that he could put forward <laughs> his own anonymously. And part of me thinks, how bad were the other scripts then? Ooh. Yeah. Or was he just like, yeah, they're all real bad, real, real bad. I can't use any of these. Better use mine. <laughs> Better use mine. Give me two paychecks. I think it. I think it might be the latter. I'm sorry. I. I, I, really I think, think it, it is might too. Be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, so we get this really bad stalking sequence where Rebecca follows Stephen around the library, and we're basically playing peekaboo behind the books, but he doesn't notice. I love it. This is a sexy scene when she's just like, Stephen. <laughs> okay, y'all. <laughs> and then she's not there. What not is there. the better quote-unquote suspenseful library scene? This one with Rebecca stalking Stephen or the covenant where the boys have to like hot float on the ceiling to hide from the security guard? Oh my god. Obviously floating on the ceiling. No! <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! I don't like this game anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many, five years apart and there's so many similarities. <laughs> I mean, the fact that we chose to do these back-to-back as well is kind of hilarious. We did not intentionally do this as a double bill. Um, yeah, okay, so this could be fun, it's okay, but I wish we had of gone further, which is basically my refrain from the film. Mm -hmm. But, um, I do like this playground monkey bar date, because I do actually think, uh, Minka Kelly and Cam... Gigande. Have... Gigande. I think that they have pretty good chemistry considering both these characters are vacant voids. But, you know, I like this sort of flirty cutie. Oh, she's stripping in the hall. His room is a complete disaster. It's totally disgusting. Like, this is fun. I genuinely feel like their flirting there was, like, very real. And everything with the monkey bars, I'm like, honestly, like, I was in college and, like, it would just be one of those things. You go for a walk mm-hmm. and you see a like a playground. You're like, well, let's go sit on the swings. Let's go down the slide. It'll be really cute and fun. Absolutely. Oh my god. Totally side note. Uh, some dude way back in the day uh, took me on a date, and for a bit of it, we were at like the playground. And he was like, "You want to see me hang off the monkey bars?" And I was like, "Sure. This sounds mm-hmm. great. This date's going very well." So he does it. You know, he doesn't. He puts his like his knees over the monkey bar, and I was like, oh. "Cool. Super impressive." And he's like, "You want to see me do it?" for my ankles and i was like that's you can't (laughs) like i'm not gonna i'm not saying like oh you can't because you're a man i'm saying you physically can't do that right so then he tries and sure enough it doesn't work and you know that platform that you stand on to grab onto the monkey bars his tailbone just smacks into it as hard as he can and immediately i was like do you need me to like take you to a hospital or anything he's like no no it's cool it's cool this date's going really well and i'm like i'm a man i'm a man (laughs) i might get laid i'm a man the next day, I'd pretty sure he posted on, like, Facebook or wherever apps we were still using at that time that weren't, like, now terrible. Showing off this massive bruise on his back where he's like, may have made an ass myself on a date last night. And I'm like, ooh, you think? You're like, you sure did, bud. <laughs> you sure did. No second date here. But I do agree with you, Joe. I actually do like the scene, but if only because it feels like a scene plucked out of a 90s rom-com. And, like, this is Sarah's quirky thing that she does with all of her, like, suitors. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Their dialogue felt real. Yeah, I take all my men to the monkey bars, and then I decide whether I want to sleep with them. Yeah. <laughs> That's the bet. If if you win the bet, you get to have sex with her. There we go. There we go. Is she a bet? Is she, she a, a fucking, fucking bet? bet? <laughs> also, wait, do we get a fuck in this movie? No. No. I mean, we technically get fucking in the next scene, because we go back to his place and we fool around, and meanwhile... Mm-hmm. Rebecca is having like sexy masturbation talk with Jason on the phone and he apparently doesn't even recognize right you would know this was scandalous though I was like all right movie like yeah we'll watch Leighton Meester masturbate let's do it this is where you feel like the film could still do something interesting it's been a little bit tame up until this point but this starts to hint okay we're actually moving into somewhat more adult territory and I thought okay so now we're gonna get murders and we're gonna get more sexy stuff 
stuff. And we do get a little bit of sexy stuff, but we don't get a lot of violence. But the fact that this PG-13, like, four teens thriller refuses to even use its one fuck, even in the Mm -hmm. climax, I'm not your fucking Mm -hmm. friend. Like, why don't we have that? It's wild. It is. But I do like that they juxtapose her masturbating to the other two having sex. Oh, yeah. Like, uh-huh. Is she thinking about Minka Kelly while she's masturbating to Jason and then being like, oh, never yeah. call me again. And then he just doesn't call her again. <laughs> like, how, does, how did that work? <laughs> Love it. Thanks for the phone sex. Never call me again. Yeah, I don't know a single man that would like listen to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so after this great night with Stephen, Sarah goes home, and this is where the RA has caught her. Oh, no, we know that you have a kitten in there, so you're going to have to get rid of it. And I sympathize with this RA because life is not worth it. Like, I should not lose my job because you were too stupid to get rid of a kitten. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is where we start to float the idea, oh, maybe I could move in with Irene. I actually have closet space there. She actually has a career. She's not going to be going through my stuff. I mean, she probably will. (laughs) Right. So it seems like a maybe win-win situation to everyone except Rebecca, who, of (laughs) course, when she finds out about this, says, I don't want more space. I want... But we can't finish the sentence. I want your snatch. Yes, I want that snatch. (laughs) I want that pussy. (laughs) There we go. She wants double the pussy. Keep the cat and keep Kelly around. (laughs) So um, things start to go a little south when Sarah refuses to accompany Rebecca home for Thanksgiving. And this is when Cuddles gets put in the wash cycle. What do we think? I mean, I, I, again, I like this because it's something that is it seems like we're crossing a boundary here in a movie mm-hmm. that refuses to cross boundaries but it's also just here for shock value but okay yeah she actually is crazy like she will kill an animal yes but only we get to know that minga kelly just thinks that the cat ran away and her immediate <laughs> thought is i'm i have to go look for it it's like cool which I just, I hate because then it's the movie speaking to us instead of using this as an opportunity to advance the conflict between the two mm-hmm. women. Like, it's just to turn the audience against Leighton Meester's Rebecca. Well, I guess because mirroring this with single white female, where Jennifer Jason mm-hmm. Lee just drops the puppy out of the window, and then, right. but she feigns, it's like, oh my god, the puppy jumped out, oh my god. And like, you know, you have Bridget Fonda being like, ooh, like... Did she do this? Did she not? Yes. There's no yes. way. But there's there's no way to wipe away. Oh, I put the cat in a dryer. <laughs> no. Well, and I think she even no, she doesn't even say anything about where she just says like, oh, I must have left the door open when I did laundry or something. Right? No, so she it's... said that she had him in her her laundry basket with her to go do laundry, and then the cat got out and she couldn't right. find him. She See, went and searched for him. What she should have done. And, you know, because honestly, I think Sarah's stupid enough to believe this, uh, is just said, I, you know, I put the cat in my laundry and I didn't even think about it. And I just threw the whole basket in there and hit play. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the cat's dead and all my clothes are ruined. So do I send the bill to you? Can you style me? I've got kitten all over my clothes now and I can't wear And you know I'm allergic. Good news is all your closet space is free now because there's cat guts all over mine. Oh my god. (laughs) Again, why did no one find this cat? Like, I don't don't think it just pleasantly died. It definitely got, like, 
torn apart. Or deleted scene, Tracy finds the fucking cat and she's just like, oh my God, and then we have to kill her. Yeah. But like, there, there was like holes in the dryer, like the vents. So like, not only would this cat like explode in this dryer, its blood and guts would be like all through the machinery. It wouldn't just be yeah. in the drying tunnel thing. <laughs> she would just ruin a piece of property that belongs to ULA. And you'd have to pay for that. <laughs> no. Better movie. We have to have like a 10 minute sequence watching Leet Meester like get rid of this dryer. Or even have her be like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And then you you see her Dexter style having to clean out the washer and move on. And folks, I just want to make sure everyone understands like we're being glib about this because the film doesn't treat it very seriously. Yeah. So obviously we're not saying, oh, we wanted to see cat guts everywhere. That's not the the takeaway. No, That's not the message. Not it's, at no, all. it's not. But like this this scene is here to give us some stakes. But as as Ali's already said, the stakes are only for us, not for anyone yes. else in the film. It's just a gift for the audience. A gift. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right. So another gift that keeps giving is, hey, Billy Zane is still in this fucking movie. Mm -hmm. So we go to Professor Daniels. Uh, He's complimenting (laughs) Sarah's work. He thinks that maybe she's good enough to accompany him to fashion. This is happening way too quickly. Let's not forget we're talking about Thanksgiving. She has been in his class for two months. (laughs) She's just that good, Joe. She's so amazing. But also he he like refers to her her designs as kinky and edgy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, her designs look again like H&M at best. Uh-huh. And is does he want her to go to Fashion Week like that weekend? Because Fashion Week in Paris doesn't happen until like January. Well, no, okay, okay. So here here's the thing here's the thing. Because you know how Devil Wears Prada is her favorite movie? Mm-hmm. Uh yes. Okay. <laughs> and the wrong Emily went to Paris. Yes. Yeah, yes. Oh Emily and Perry, yes. Um yes. so here's the thing. Apparently, in the original script, and y'all, this is IMDb trivia. Take it with a grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, hundred percent true. <laughs> in the original script, Sarah's favorite film was Coyote Ugly. In the finished oh film, God. it's The Devil Wears Prada, and I believe that is because we have this Fashion Week in Paris subplot, which, Ali, as you mm-hmm. said, the movie doesn't like line it up correctly with timelines. No. Because these two men watched Devil Wears Prada and said, oh my god, every woman's dream is to go to Fashion Week in Paris. We'll just do it in this movie, too. It is. It is everyone's dream. What's the time difference between Coyote Ugly and Devil Wears Prada? Like, Devil Wears Prada was relatively recent. Uh, Devil Wears Prada would have been five years before this in 2006, and Coyote Ugly was the year 2000. Yeah, it's a beautiful movie. Oh. I wonder if it was just like, no one's going to understand... The Coyote Ugly references, so well, we're just going to get rid of that. And remember, this this script was written and completed in July of 2008, so it would have been closer <laughs> to, to right. Coyote Ugly than 2011. True. Yeah. But also, I want to bring it back to who the fuck is Billy Zane? How does he just get to go to all the Fashion Week in Paris parties? And how does he go mm-hmm. every year? How does he learn and meet all these designers? Who is he? And how is he just like at a teaching job at ULA. That's the thing. Like, is he the male Miranda Priestley who just happens to teach one highly sought one after class. class at this college, like for a semester, yeah. a year? Like set that up. Right? Yeah. Tell us how exclusive he is. Even like, why wouldn't it be like, Irene told me to take your class or Irene walks her in the first day and gets her in so that we understand, oh, he is a big fucking deal. Or he gave Irene her big break and got her first fashion show. And maybe there's another subplot where it's like, oh, yeah, because she had sex with him. 
<laughs> oh yes, that's what we need in this film. More subplots. <laughs> well, yes, we're this about film to get is one. nothing but subplots. <laughs> <laughs> but I just feel like they didn't develop his character. Like I get that he's just there to basically, you know, be a yeah. bad man and, and Leighton's gonna save her from this bad man. Sure. But he doesn't he's not a character. And everything he says in class is just like, well, what's the difference between style and oh fashion she's like uh -huh. um fashion is eternal and style is like just something you naturally like, have or whatever yeah and you're like i cannot believe we don't have just like a redo of uh meryl streep's like cerulean monologue in mm -hmm. devil wears prada but just with billy zane right? saying something about magenta or something <laughs> <laughs> but him also not fully understanding it like i just it felt like the people who were writing this, okay, the dude who wrote it, doesn't know what fashion is. No. And was like, yeah, this is, when you teach a class on intro to fashion design, you should just talk about style the whole time and don't talk about pattern drafting well, or okay. sewing Wait, machines. Also, also, this is an intro class. Why? Mm -hmm. I know he says, I normally pick seniors, but why wouldn't, like, if I was a, a, in his, like, senior class and you put brought someone from your intro class to Fashion Week, Fuck you. Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, this is supposed to be, oh, Sarah really doesn't get red flags because she doesn't understand that he's basically doing all of this because he wants to fuck her. So Because she's dumb and not a good friend. She thinks she's a good fashion designer. <laughs> well, yeah, she's dumb, but also she has an inflated sense of ego about her own fashion. But she does, but yet she doesn't make anything. And when she does get the opportunity to style someone, she's like, I found this at a flea market. It's like, did you wash it first? Like, you didn't make this. Why am I wearing it? <laughs> she's like, I found this in the alley where I found the cat. <laughs> I think if you actually yeah. wash the jacket she gave Rebecca, it would turn white because it's just dirt that turns it brown. <laughs> right? Like, it would be gross. <laughs> but also, what's school? Because okay, I get that they're all of age, they're all above 18, but what school is like, oh, it's totally cool. Our once totally straight male fashion teacher takes one girl to go with him completely unattended to fashion week. It's totally innocent. <laughs> okay, here, here's the other, we talked about how we want a prequel to this film where we just let Rebecca loose and we, we bring back Nina Dobrev. I would also like to see a spinoff where it's like a Me Too revenge thriller where it's just all of Professor Daniel's former students stalk the shit out of him and just like murder him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At Fashion Week. Well, because also he doesn't die in this movie. <laughs> he doesn't die in this movie. We just get instant karma where we He takes him. a leap of absence. Yeah. We just get instant karma where basically Rebecca walks in. She records it, but makes it sound like he's sexually assaulting her. And I think even this is inherently very, yes, folks, I'm going to say it, problematic because it presents mm -hmm. this idea of a sexually aggressive woman using this to make a fake sexual assault case against this man. So even though he's douchey and we know he's bad, this still makes her look like a wackadoodle because she's like, oh, she's going to record you and it's going to be used against you to get you fired. A thousand percent. I agree. But because of that problematic factor, I at least found this scene interesting it's in a way that I yeah. didn't find many of the other scenes. It's the kind of thing where you wish the film would do more of this and then maybe also fold in a fucking murder every once in a while. Basically, yes. Yeah. Because he's just gone after this like you said ali you know he takes a leave of absence we see it in a basically smash cut to the next day oh it's just this new female faculty member who's taking over 
we could have then killed him and just been like, oh, and he took a leave of absence, but cut to his body. Yeah, they could have done so much more. But also the dialogue in the scene where he's like, what do you want? I'll pay anything. And she's like, oh, you'll pay. I'm like, guys. <laughs> okay, wait. But I, That's I did like, the Oscar winning line. <laughs> I did like this exchange. What do you know about clothes? Only one thing. That I look better out of them than in them. <laughs> also, how long have they been going to school for? She can still add and drop classes. Right? Well, I mean, actually, admittedly, when I worked in post-secondary, you could do it right up until around Canadian Thanksgiving. But that's a full, like, three and a half to four weeks earlier than American Thanksgiving. She she does say it's the last day that they can change classes or whatever. Sure. Okay. <laughs> also, I like that we've seen Sarah at least go to a class and be in a class, whereas, mm-hmm. like, Rebecca just... Where Where is she during the day? Oh, yes. Okay. So, Ali, that is the best point because I kept waiting for the reveal that Rebecca either hadn't been attending classes or that she had never actually been enrolled because right? we never see her go to school. We don't see her go to her studio. Yeah. And I, I thought that was just such an easy, obvious thing to do, but... From all accounts, she apparently has been going to class and doing well, for all we know. I mean, look, I have way more questions about her parents who were like, hey, you are either bipolar, bipolar borderline, schizophrenic, or all of the above. Please take mm-hmm. your medicine. Um, We're never going to check on you. Oh, my God. Her parents are great. I just love when her dad's like, listen, your mother and I are very fond of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, guys. The love in this house is so overwhelming. Okay. Okay, well, we're we're new. We'll there, get to so, that. <laughs> no, like we'll we'll jump ahead to it because basically, uh, Rebecca fakes a mugging while she's out looking, quote unquote, for mm, cuddles, yeah. and then she uses this to garner sympathy to convince Sarah to come to Thanksgiving with her. I will say one moderately clever match cut that I really did like is when Rebecca stabs herself with the box cutter. We then just mm-hmm. cut to I think it's a cherub statue that looks like it's screaming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I do think some of the filmmaking, like the shots and the edits Mm -hmm. are pretty good because we didn't even talk about how when uh, Professor Daniels is trying to seduce Sarah, we get all of these images, like really extreme close ups of lips and fingers and stuff. And are like, oh, it is kind of sexy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There there are hints of a better movie in here, but yeah, that's it. (laughs) But yeah. yeah, I mean, and then we leave it at that. <laughs> but I, I will say, any film that always does a little homage to the Mark Wahlberg classic Fear, I'm kind of here <sighs> yes. for. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'm always like, yeah, keep punching yourself in the face, and let's never forget about this box cutter that shows up twice more in this film. Oh and see, God. like yeah. I, I think that's the kind. I, I like Fear a lot, but it's like a trashy teen movie. But but it's trashy and it revels in it and it changed the way i look at roller coasters but it has oh, the r yes. rating of something that this mm. movie refuses to do so i i i get it to an extent but that is it should be the the, the bullseye that this movie is aiming for at least and i don't even think mm-hmm. it's aiming for that but i think you can push a pg-13 rating harder than even this film is going oh for. yes you can say fuck <laughs> use that fuck (laughs) use it yeah god damn it (laughs) okay so let's talk about thanksgiving because this is another Uh, instance where i think the film is building to something much more significant than it actually is because this is such a short part of this movie the shortest thanksgiving ever i love it 
really, it's like it. It feels like Thanksgiving is half a day long in this movie. And ha- what do we always say about dinner scenes in movies? We love them because <clears throat> it's like it's where conflict and shit shows happen. And this movie yes. botches its nope. dinner scene. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's barely a moment. Okay, so Sarah and Rebecca go back to her house. We get all of this build-up exposition about how she just lived there, but it was never really her house. And you're like, okay, we know she's rich. What is this going to be? What is it going to be like? Are her parents going to give us insight into who Rebecca really is? Answer no to all of those things. So we're introduced to her parents, Jeff, who is played by Thomas Arana, and Allison, the fantastic Frances Fisher, Yes, nothing to do in this fucking movie. She makes her money for that, like, three lines she gets. Oh, man, truly. Ooh, but also, before we jump into the family stuff, on their weird car ride up, which mm-hmm. I don't know how long it takes, I don't know where they live, Sarah is immediately like... Jason hasn't called me in a while. So weird. And she's like, isn't that what you fucking wanted? Yeah. <laughs> Bitch, what do you want from him? Uh. Do you want him to call or do you not want him to call? What do, What do you want? I'm actually hating Sarah more and more the further our conversation no. goes. No. Sarah's not a good like, character. She is a fickle idiot. <laughs> Honestly. She wants all the attention, but like hates drama. Like, oh my God, I hate drama, but like keep calling me. What? Shut no, up. Like, nothing like this ever happens in my small town of Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at me. I'm a wallflower, but also I'm wearing a fedora. So look at me. <laughs> like, love my fedora. It will come into play me. later. Uh, okay, yeah. So in case you weren't reading the queer coding at the dinner, the only memorable line to come out of this dinner is when Rebecca's father, Jeff, tells Sarah, I'm sure she likes you because she's never brought someone home before. Well, okay, but also Rebecca's mom asks Sarah, is she taking her medication? And which is mm-hmm. news to Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Touch news. So I hope that everyone enjoyed Frances Fisher, because as soon as she says, oh, is my daughter taking her medication? We leave, and these parents are out of the movie. Yeah. (sighs) But it's fine, because we're going on a tour of Rebecca's local haunts, so we stop at a coffee shop, and folks, this is where the film could have gotten really interesting, because we're introduced to a Sarah lookalike called Maria, and this character is played by Elena Dubrov. And, um, yeah, she's in it for a hot second. She looks super uncomfortable with Rebecca. And then she gives her a really awkward hug and says, I was never your friend. But that's it. That is it. it. Also, nothing warrants her to say, like, we were never friends or whatever. It felt like this moment should have been with her and Sarah. Like, she should have, like, pulled Sarah aside and been like, yo, this is what happened in high school. She stalked me. (laughs) Instead of unwarrantedly being like, we weren't friends. Why are you talking to me? Like, yeah, or to have like Rebecca say something that would provoke. I mean, again, clearly something bad happened between them in the before mm-hmm. times, but we don't know what it. And it clearly didn't get as bad as murder because Rebecca's still alive and not in prison. So, right. We're just meant to believe that everything that's been happening to Sarah happened with this girl. We should note that we've also seen images of her in Rebecca's notebook yeah so we can definitely extrapolate what probably happened but even for the film to not give us a better sense like we don't get sarah questioning rebecca in the car afterwards who was that what happened why won't you talk to me 
how do you know this girl? Obviously, you had a relationship. Like, the movie doesn't even build to that. So the scene is interesting, but it comes to nothing. Yeah, it, it doesn't tell us anything about Rebecca that we didn't already know. Well, it tells us that she did it before, but we could have figured that out just from the drawings alone. Yeah. So that's Thanksgiving because now we're just back on campus. Yep, back to normal. <laughs> Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of shifting things around in terms of the timeline. We don't actually see Rebecca, nearly light gas station attendant Rick, who is played by Ryan Doom on fire just yet. Oh, I like the uh, scene, though, a lot. I like that scene. Yeah, it, I, I think it works again. This is just for the audience because it's not like Sarah sees it. It's not like Tracy sees it and reports it back. So this is just another wackadoodle moment. It's another gift. Well, but that's it, it's at least giving Leighton Meester something to play that is yes. exciting or fun or thrilling. Or even if you want to delve into camp, sure, I don't think that's what this is. But no. like, it's something exciting about this character. That, and it's like, okay, yes, this is like the, the crazy Blair Waldorf that I know. And mm-hmm. I just wish there were more moments like this in the movie. Same. I also wish there were more moments like this in Gossip Girl where she just pours gasoline on somebody. I feel like she would get her point across just a lot better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then we would have burned Gossip Girl alive because, of course, the person we would have wanted her to do it to was Dan and Badgley. (laughs) Yes. And then we wouldn't have you. So where would we be? (laughs) Truly. All right. Where would we be? This was the impetus. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I mean, this is the start of Rebecca's not-so-slow transition into a quote-unquote psycho. It's fun to watch her start to unravel like this, and you think that we're going to get a lot more, like, oh, okay, here she goes, she's really gonna lose it, and... Unfortunately, I don't feel like the movie ever really lets her go there, which is disappointing because even in these kinds of scenes, you can see that she's hungry to yeah. just let loose. Mm-hmm. It feels like they're not giving her anything to do. Again, this feels really... F- like I love this film and I'm championing it. It seems like I'm shitting on it, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you can shit on it and still love it. it, it, it's, it then we have this one-two punch, right? So we have this gasoline scene, but then the next scene with Rebecca has her seducing Irene with... Yes. I actually did really like this because she's putting on this caffeinated cinnamon lip gloss and then she's, yes. just, she's like, I never know how late you're going to party. And then Rebecca's just like, can I try it? And they just start making out. And I was like, yes, movie. Yes. Yes. It's super hot. <laughs> also, as a, a lady who went clubbing a lot during this period, that mm-hmm. caffeinated lip balm is stupid. Does it work, though? No, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, I feel the same way about caffeinated shampoo, you know? like It, 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 it doesn't wake me up. <laughs> it doesn't do anything for you. It's just, honestly, like, every time I had a caffeinated lip balm, it was just stickier than I wanted it to be. Ooh. You were like, I can't take a drink now because... It's going to get all over my cup and the rest of my mouth. <laughs> right. But nevertheless, right. though, y'all, this is where the movie is kind of showing a glimpse of a pulse. And there are less yes. than 20 minutes left of this movie. Yeah, this is the problem. I mean, is it waiting too late to get really bonkers and then still never really getting as bonkers as it should be? Yeah. Yes. But yeah. you're right. These feel like glimmers, right? I mean, oh, wow. She might burn this guy alive simply because she can. You know, we've seen faux lesbians seductions before again we could say this is actually rebecca being true to herself and she's just not admitting who she is or what she really wants but like she 
and Irene have good chemistry. And part of me was like, oh, man, I would just rather watch this movie. Like, let's watch Rebecca go after Irene. This is the true movie. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, Sarah just like trips and falls and breaks her neck. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just the two of them now. What a subversion, though. You think we're following Sarah to the end and then she just dies and it becomes Irene's movie. Yeah. But Irene is the one that works. She fixes Rebecca. Oh, and then they elope and it becomes like Hannibal. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> All roads lead back to Hannibal. <laughs> I mean, I was talking about the film because that is nonsense, garbage stuff. But yes, we'll also go with the better TV show. Also on Patreon. Go and Always. listen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So everything in the club, fun, exciting, hopefully leading to something Obviously, we know that this is not going to end well for Irene when they suggest taking it back to her place, but we don't see it. We'll see Irene again later, later. when things yeah, have question happened. mark? How many days later? Yeah, it'll be like later? five or ten minutes later in movie time, though. Yeah, but that is a good question, Allie. How long is Irene imprisoned in this bed? Like, is Rebecca going there to feed her or change the sheets when she pisses herself <laughs> oh, or whatever? She's just like, diarrhea all over this bed. She is just a soiled mess. <laughs> Like, all I've had to eat was this caffeinated lip gloss for the last week. Oh, and that caffeine will make you shit. So those are dirty ass and smelly sheets. It's okay. I'll just wash them in the campus lounge. Oh, Oh, no. The washing machine hasn't been fixed yet. Megan Kelly just walks in like, oh. (laughs) You're like, Irene, never mind. I'll come back later. (laughs) She doesn't even look for it. She's like, I see you're busy. Bye. Girl, I thought you were a stylist. What have you gotten into? (laughs) Styling and diarrhea do not go together. Well, says you. Professor Roberts might disagree. He's got a scat fetish. Like, (laughs) by fashion week, I actually meant the glass table in my house. (laughs) So that's how he knows Irene. I get it now. Everything's connected. Right. Also, we're not king shaming. If you're into scat play, good for you. Yeah, you do you. You do you. Always. So when Sarah can't get a hold of Irene, she comes back to the room and it turns out that Rebecca has had a change of heart about tattoos and she would desperately love her roomie to come with her. And even though Sarah is definitely skeeved out by everything Rebecca is doing at this point, she agrees because she's still trying to be nice. She's an idiot. Out comes the Emily tattoo, and it's like, okay, this is the deal breaker. No more red flags. It's a full-on get-out-of-here moment. Okay, but she doesn't just get this tattoo. She concludes this exchange by going, you can call me Emily if you want. (laughs) Yes. I'll be your sister now. Which then again begs, does she want to be her, be Mm -hmm. on her? Or be her family? Like, what does she want from this character? And I think because we don't know, we're meant to believe, oh, she's so wackadoodle that she doesn't even know. Like, she wants to fuck her, but also be her sister, but still be her roommate and all these other things. And you're just like, that's not how any of this would work. Like, she would have a desire. Yeah. Anyway, so this is the get-out-of-jail-free card for Sarah. She immediately packs her shit. She doesn't even try to explain. She just says, I'm leaving. 
oops, I can't actually find my sister's necklace, but I'll just send, oh, hey, remember that guy I'm dating? He's still a character in this movie. So I'll send Steven back to get it later. There's also this, what feels like an insert scene where- It's totally an insert scene. They're like, oh, we haven't had enough scares in this movie, so let's let's build some tension, where it's Sarah walking down like the quad at night, and she sees Mm -hmm. someone walking towards her with a hoodie. They walk past. She stops, turns around and looks, and then the Mm -hmm. other person who- is not Rebecca turns around nope. and looks at her. Yeah, just that's just an, a, another sketchy person who lives on campus. All right, there are yeah. more stories on campus than just her little tale. I'm just like, yeah. why is this here? What what does this serve the plot of the story? <laughs> but also when when Cam goes to like get her stuff and like Rebecca's crying in the window, still being like, what did I do? And then takes his picture and he's just like, you do mm. shit like that. <laughs> I do like that moment, though, because, again, it doesn't serve the plot either, but it very much, I kind of like that somebody finally calls her on, hey, some of your behavior is very odd. It felt like they just didn't have a moment with those two characters yet, and they were like, well, she has to interact with somebody else, so Mm -hmm. get in there, guy. We've lost Ali Machalka, her contract's up, so who else can we use, And Kim didn't even get a line, so... Yeah. Oh, sorry. She needed to go back to Hellcat, so uh, she she had to book it. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, in the timeline, to be clear, yeah, she would probably be touring with Ali and AJ or some other nonsense. So, yeah. Well, she, yes. Okay, other nonsense. My husband would murder you right now. We went to an <laughs> Ali and AJ concert six months ago. <laughs> I've been I've been to four of their concerts, Joe. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that they're not good musicians. I'm more saying she would not be doing other acting projects because Hellcats was long done by this point. For sure, for sure. Okay, so yes, uh, when she's unpacking, Sarah does discover a notepad filled (gasps) with images of her own face now. I have such issue with this scene because... Well, I am not an artist. I know many artists. And at no point did they draw the same picture, flip the page, draw the same picture, a little more detailed, flip the page, same picture, even more detailed. Like, that is the stupidest prop. <laughs> but it should that... be her sleeping. It should be her looking at a window. It should be her hands and not just the same picture that they've just photoshopped on every page to make it look a little bit more done. But Allie, mm-hmm. she has borderline and or bipolar and or schizophrenia. So that's just what those people do. Don't you Honestly, know that? It's very true. As <laughs> someone who has borderline myself, I often find myself just doing shit like that all the time. It's not weird. It honestly seems like it'd be more reflective if she had OCD where she's just like, oh, I'm I'm redoing the same picture over and over and over again trying to get it correct or something yeah but, but each time yeah. it's a little bit better and it's in like the same position and it's the exact same photo it looks like they put it through like one of those apps where you take a photo and you're like make this look like someone pencil drew it yeah mm-hmm. 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 But they actually might have done that honestly well. it seems like that was what happened <laughs> Okay, so it's a big moment for the film, folks. Jason has arrived on campus because <gasps> he hasn't heard from Sarah in forever, aka since that time they both masturbated on the phone together. Oh my god. Okay, so he leaves this, he slides this note under the door, and then we get this shot of Rebecca, who I wrote in my notes is fatal attractioning, uh, but instead of like pulling a lamp string, she is mm-hmm. just stabbing the chair she's sitting on over and over with a box cutter. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The t- second time we got to see those box cutters. Don't worry, it will come in a third time. Dude. Chekhov's box cutter, yeah. Box cutter is a good weapon. This movie makes no good use of it. No. no. Also, do we even have a sense of why she'd be using that? Like, 
we couldn't have done something with a graphite pencil or something a little bit more appropriate for either a design background or a drawing background. It just feels like they needed a weapon and they're like, well, what do people need right away? Well, they were unpacking boxes. I mm-hmm. bet college girls have a box cutter. It's like, yeah. no, we use our keys like everybody else. I was going to say, like that would imply that, that actual thought was put into this movie, Joe. I mean, I get it. I, I appreciate what you're saying, Ellie, because you're right. These girls probably would have a box cutter or it's a weapon or an item that would have been around a dorm room. It just, it was kind of like... This is a bit uninspired. Couldn't we have done something a bit more specific to who the characters are? If anything, it should have been a pair of, like, sewing scissors. Right. Don't we see her with sewing scissors at one point? (laughs) Do we see her do anything fashion-wise besides saying things like, style is eternal? (laughs) (laughs) I look at my fedora. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the fedora's going to make a comeback. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, so speaking of style and fashion, this is where Rebecca starts to put her plan into effect. So now that Jason is here, she's got his contact info. It's time to dye our hair and wear Sarah's clothes. We've already got the necklace because Sarah conveniently couldn't find it when she moved out. So let's do that. Sneak into his hotel, ride him, dye him, and then say... She doesn't love you. But she like almost cries. She's like, she doesn't love you. You are Mm -hmm. doing teenage single white female. And you are copying Steven Weber's death scene where, remember, Mm -hmm. he gets killed by having a high heeled shoe stabbed into his eye. Yes. Fucking great. The best part of that movie. It's so good. I understand that we cannot do that in this movie. You could have. You just can't show it. Like, you could see her attack him and you just can't show the high heel in his eye. Sure. All she does is she stabs him, I think, once in the chest. We have this extreme Mm -hmm. close up of this actor's face, Matt Lanter's face. He's like, oh, I'm dying. And that's it. And he's dead. And again, he got a higher billing than Francis. (laughs) Rude, honestly. (laughs) You know, I bet you he, he probably had more days on set because this is essentially a stunt. Right, Right, yeah. It is so disappointing, though, because this is the first of two murders that we will get in this movie, both of them with box cutters, and characters just die from a stab. A stab. (laughs) Yep. And they don't scream or anything. I have so many thoughts about Rebecca's death. I was like, what? (laughs) Oh, it's... These are bad. These are bad, bad deaths. I'm sorry. (laughs) They're bad friends and bad deaths. I've watched this a bunch of times. And I've been to many hotels. It mm-hmm. didn't seem like he had left her a key. No. So is you can't just, and it's 2011 at that point. So they're using key cards. The door isn't just unlocked. Did he just not answer it? Did the front desk give her a key? Unless he left her a key in the envelope. And that was because remember, he slides something under the door. So maybe he's like, come find me. Here's the room or something. But again, how hard is it to put in an insert shot of her opening the envelope, seeing the key card? Yeah, exactly. I didn't look closely enough at the door, but it's also possible that he like closed that latch in the doorway to keep it open. Right. Bold move. He didn't know she was going to show up. <laughs> Anyone could have shown Anyone up Anyone could have walked in. You know what? He <laughs> (laughs) He's face down, ass up, and if it just happens to be Sarah, then I guess all the better. Listen, I'm not going to victim blame. It's not his fault he died, but he made some dumb choices. Uh, Well, a lot of people in this movie make really dumb choices. (laughs) Including the people who made it, yeah. Yeah. Released it, (laughs) made it, promoted it. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, so it's frat party night, and... 
Unfortunately, Sarah wants to study because she's already regretting moving in with her boyfriend. (laughs) Which is crazy because she's like, I have this is a good time for me to move in with Irene. And then it was like, well, I guess I'll live with you since she's not answering her phone. It's been, again, Mm -hmm. how many days? TBA. And the frat's just cool with this bitch moving in. But we're going into this scene. So I I have in my notes right now. So Sarah goes to Irene's apartment. And y'all, the 79 Mm -hmm. minute mark of this movie is when... Mm-hmm. She realizes, oh, she's not just like kind of a crazy stalker. She is a dangerous person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So as soon as we, at, at least I love that as soon as she sees that Irene is tied up in the bed, Sarah flips out. And also, I mean, at this point, Rebecca has a gun on her. So we have escalated very quickly. Yeah. But I will say, mm-hmm. in terms of action, from this moment on, I'm kind of all in on this movie. Yeah, this is a, this is a good final climactic action moment where you don't question yeah. why she has a gun because you're like, it's America. Doesn't everybody have guns? Oh my god, oh my god. I say that all the time. You Canadians. so bad at me. <laughs> Not in LA. <laughs> <laughs> Not at fashion school. I think Sarah would be more likely to have a gun coming from the small town of Des, Mo- Des Moines, Iowa <laughs> than true. Rebecca from coming from wherever the fuck she came from. All five people in Des Moines have a gun. It's true. It's true. That's a fact. I will say, I agree with both of you. I think this fight scene is very fun. My issue Mm -hmm. is it's only five minutes long. Well, I mean, we're already at the 79 minute mark and this movie is 91 minutes. (laughs) Well, plus credits. That's fair. That's fair. We got to go. We we got to get this thing moving. Heaven forbid the film overstay its welcome in the fucking climax where we've been waiting for this shit to happen. <laughs> well, because, I mean, like the way this plays out, you know, she's like, we have Irene with this silly ass jump scare that I love. Rebecca's behind <laughs> the door. Sarah begs for forgiveness. And Rebecca's like, okay, yeah, let me just like trash bag over Irene's head really quick. And then we'll go run away together. Hey, she explains that. She says, I only want you to have one best one, friend. One best friend. <laughs> And that is sound logic. It is, it is. But I love that as she's doing this, like, Sarah, like, kind of approaches to be like, no, maybe not. And Rebecca just slaps the shit out of her. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's yeah. how you learn. Yeah. <laughs> I said one awful. best friend. <laughs> I will slap the best friend into you until you understand me. I hit you because I love you. Okay, but so I know we we talked about how Steven comes in and helps to save her. What I don't like about this is that Mm -hmm. now for the remaining two minutes of this climax, Sarah has become a damsel in distress and is hanging outside the window. Yeah. And her best friend is going to try and save her. (laughs) That's Rebecca, right? Yes. (laughs) You're not suggesting Steven is her best friend. (laughs) Steven ain't shit. I mean, he gets knocked out very quickly, very easily. But I kind of love how, yeah, he comes in like a big hero moment and Rebecca just goes, bonk. Okay, but did I hoot and holler when he just punches Rebecca in the face? Yes. There are very few movies where you like yell outwardly being like, that dude just punched that chick. Good move, man. (laughs) Very few times where that's acceptable. (laughs) She's bananas at this point. But I mean, all of this is really good. Like, I mean, okay, so Steven's out for the count. Sarah has been more or less rescued. She's able to get herself back in. And then it's full on girl on girl cat fight. And I think the stunt team did a really great job because these hits are hitting. Yeah. I also do love the moment. Shout out to Leighton Easter for the look on Rebecca's face when Sarah actually pulls the trigger. Sure, the gun is empty, but you can tell Rebecca didn't think she had it in her. She's like, oh shit. Oh, yeah. Put it on you, girl. Yeah. 
But what she doesn't have in her is to stab Rebecca a whole bunch of times. She stabs her once in the back and goes, that's it. (laughs) It's because stabbing is so personal and like shooting a gun is like not personal at all. It's what happens all the time. I mean, here's the thing. We've often joked that stabbing is a penetrative, almost sexual act. So of course it would make sense that Sarah would give her the most basic bitch stab in the literal back and that would be enough to kill her because this movie couldn't possibly suggest that Sarah would have any kind of enthusiasm or agency or passion no i'm basically just saying sarah's a sad sad girl and i hope she went to therapy and maybe found her yum somewhere and i want to make extremely clear to everyone like i've been shitting on this movie and specifically minka kelly's role in this movie it's her role it's not the acting no there's just nothing that this role i don't I don't know any actress that really could have made a meal out of this role. Like, again, like, like you're coming here no. to see Leighton Meester be a crazy psycho, but yeah. even that, the movie just doesn't want to fully commit to until the final five fucking minutes of the movie. Yeah, like, it's not the actor's mm-hmm. fault. It's definitely the fault of the writing and mm-hmm. yeah. everything else involved. It's just wild to me that people were looking at this. I'm sure they were looking at the PG-13 and saying, all we have to do is make this commercial. We've cast it well. That'll be enough. And if you look at the budget, it, it works, more or yeah. less. Yeah. But it's wild to me that we're not looking at the dailies and saying, hey, this climax works really well. Where's this energy the rest of the movie? No, but but, but it is a case where it's like, hey, like I, I feel like everyone involved had to have knew, known this was a shit movie. Or at least the, the studio and the production team, like they all knew what they were making. But they were like, hey, we can make this for $16 million. We can easily have this make a $20 million return like on that mm-hmm. at least. And they did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a good investment. They made a good choice. Yeah, they knew that they could get people out. Well, no, they made a good business decision. There was yeah. not that. There was nearly a good creative decision made. No, they they said we just need a good opening weekend to yep. justify how much money we're sinking into it. And it works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A thousand percent. Question for you two. There's a faux jump scare here where we reach towards Rebecca to get the Emily necklace off of her. And it's kind of half ass. What do we think? Do we wish they had have just done it, even though we expected the jump scare, or should they have just not done it at all? It's like so subtle that it's like, why, why do it? Like you either gotta go full jump scare or just have her be, just have her be dead, dead. and that's it. You know, no, you know what's a better fucking ending to this movie? You have Rebecca almost fall backwards out the window, and Sarah mm-hmm. is she's only in the room still because Sarah's holding on to that necklace. And Sarah has to let go of the necklace and let (sighs) Rebecca fall out the window. And with that, she comes to terms with her sister being dead. Bam. Uh Done. And then we see her the next year at Thanksgiving and she's like... Dad, I brought a turkey. Yes. And, and yes. <laughs> yes. There Dad, you go. Dad, I brought you the turkey. <laughs> Up a half star. <laughs> <laughs> or we Hannibal this shit and we just see Rebecca embrace Sarah and they both go out the fucking window. Also fine. That's a ballsy move. A, a ballsy move in a movie without them. See, all these endings are better are than better. the <laughs> <laughs> But also, like, just to bring it full circle, when Sarah just yells, you were never my friend, just to go against what Nina Dobrev has said before. Sick, sick bird. Oh, it hurts so bad. It's just not true. <laughs> <laughs> if right. anything, she was a great friend. She was a yeah. great friend. Also, when you were all, you know, 
sad because your friend ditched you at a bar for hot tubs and whatever else. You mm-hmm. called her because she's your friend and she came to you. She wore that fucking ugly jacket that you wanted to style her in for the the art show yeah, that we never she, actually got to see. She hid your cat secret. Like, she was a good friend to you. You two were friends. Don't be like, we were never friends. Just be like, you weren't a good friend. There we go. Or like, you're not my best friend anymore. And then throw your friendship bracelets at each other. She is a fickle <laughs> idiot. That is what Sarah is. <laughs> yeah, Sarah's not a good friend. I love that our takeaway from this movie is that Sarah is a bad friend. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't even say thank you when she brings her home for Thanksgiving. It's like she welcomed you into her home. God. Truly. Yeah. She feared out her own face so that she could get you to a nice Thanksgiving because you said that it was really hard for you. Where is the thank you? (laughs) A fun game for listeners, y'all. What is the moment that you think that Rebecca like truly like first crosses the line to the point where you're like, no, that that huge red flag, whatever, because I feel like it's it's very different for everyone. I mean, obviously, it's going to be the kitten is the point of no return. Well, okay. Of what Sarah sees, what is the point of no return? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, when when would it be reasonable for her to be like, get the fuck away from me? Right. But anyway. Um, this last scene. <laughs> I was going to say, and for all of us, yeah, it's this final scene. You know? <laughs> Ooh, tell me a gunpoint. I don't know about that. <laughs> from Sarah's point of view, it's like, okay, you haven't done anything that I've seen. You're just kind of here all the time. Like, do you not have class? Am I your only friend? You're my class, Sarah. You're my class. I saw that Friendsters account and it really eked me out. So I don't know. I can't be your top friend. Sorry. No, it needs to be like, oh my god. Joe, you haven't seen this. Ali, have you seen the Sandra Bullock quote unquote romantic comedy all about Steve? Yes. Okay. Where she's a crossword maker. <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh Joe, I don't know if you know the impetus for this movie, but she's a crossword maker and she goes on one day with Bradley Cooper and the next day the crossword is like the color of Steve's eyes, Steve's pants, and she puts this in the paper and releases oh, it. No. <laughs> because she has zero editor at this paper. He, They were just like, it's fine. Your crosswords are brilliant. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Approved. Change approved. And then she just falls into a hole. It's okay, such a good movie. It's one of the funniest side gags I've ever seen and one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Like, I was going to say. No, but like, it's, y'all, it is worth watching All About Steve because it really is one of those like, did no Truly, one say anything no <laughs> at <Yeah>. any point? <laughs> when the script was being made, when they were casting, like Sandra Bullock read this and was like, well, how much money am Sign I getting? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so. But anyway, but that that's that's the uh, the rom com version of Rebecca's story. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and that's the roommate. That is the roommate, uh, Allie, as the guest of honor. Any final thoughts that you would like to let our listeners know before we uh, stop talking about it? Yeah, I mean, this movie could have ended a bunch of ways. They could have just ended it after that big climactic scene, but they had to do for some reason that she changed dorm rooms. And then was like, I don't want a roommate for a while, but help me pull the other bed into the hallway and then just leave it there like it's yeah, not her yeah. fucking problem. Oh, that RA it's is a so fucking fire off. hazard. That's what it is. <laughs> but also, why did you have to change rooms? She's dead. I don't know that she changes rooms. I think she just removes the second bed from the old room so that they can't try to give her a new roommate. Oh, no. They make like a comment about her changing rooms. <laughs> oh, the college they? is like, um, and she no, has, ma'am. Like, a box. <laughs> oh, God. Okay wild also did anyone call rebecca's parents to be like hey your daughter's dead 
<laughs> yeah, like, can you imagine they're like, we just saw her at Thanksgiving. She showed up with this girl that we thought she was dating. And then all of a sudden, this girl has killed her. <laughs> yeah. And the police are like, well, it happened after that. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, that's the other thing we need. So we talked about the prequel. We talked about the side quill mm-hmm. with the Professor Daniels getting me too'd. Now we need the sequel where it's like the parents actively track down Sarah and make her pay for what she did to their daughter. <laughs> Francis Fisher is just like, <laughs> yes, chewing all the scenery. <laughs> My daughter. Mm-hmm. And you know what they call it? Thanksgiving. Ooh. God damn it. Uh, yeah, this movie's bad. I don't like it. Um, there is, again, there are glimmers of a better movie and of energy here that I think could work in a better movie, but I sure. it, it just doesn't seem like anyone here gave a shit. No. I loved this movie. I still do. <laughs> I own it. I saw it in theaters. I make people watch it to be like, what? how do you feel about this movie? And now we're going to be roommates. Do any of these characters vibe with you? <laughs> how do you feel about Emily tattoos? Shall I show you mine? Yeah, what tattoos do you have that I could also get? So I'm inclined to agree a little bit more with Trace than with Ali. This movie... It just needed something more. I could actually see rewatching this film if it was more fun, but it just doesn't go there. It's like it staunchly refuses to lean into its absurdity or be campy or just be over the top and fun. And I think that that's really disappointing because I went into this hoping to get a it's so bad, it's good kind of thing. Like, I really wanted to see Meester cut loose and just have fun with it. And yeah, the the film just doesn't really give us any of that so i enjoyed this discussion but i also had more fun with this discussion than i had watching the movie agreed agreed yeah, totally well okay before we announce what we're covering next week um ali uh first thank you for coming on this journey with us and for like being a staunch defender of all things the yeah. roommate but let everyone know where can they find you on social media oh my god you can find me on all social media platforms at the ali chapel and that's it, sir. I I thought I was going to say more, but I didn't. <laughs> okay. You know what? Short and sweet. We love it. Yeah, we love it. We love it. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. And go to our YouTube channel to watch our Chucky reviews. And tune in once a month to hear about our most anticipated horror films for that month. If you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you love us and want to show us that love, you can either or either or <laughs> rate and review mm-hmm. us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or give us money by supporting the show at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. If you subscribe today, you will get 284 hours of Patreon content. <gasps> I know. That's it's so a much lot. content. <laughs> it's That's basically a, a whole content. other podcast. Um, <laughs> that includes this month's new episodes on the pilot episode of Hannibal, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Mimic. Founder's Day, Night Swam, and our audio commentary on Jennifer Kent's The Babadook for its 10th anniversary. Ooh, mm-hmm. good choices. I liked Night Swim. Oh, oh God. Boy. Oh, Allie. <laughs> okay, Allie. So- <laughs> I have seen so many movies that should be fun, and they're just boring this month. I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> Listen, you guys need to start watching more Lifetime films, because if you wow. want to see things get outrageous... 
those films, they know how to push the... There's so many baby-stealing ones. Yes. It's great. Stalked by my doctor. Yes, Eric Roberts forever. But then by that logic, I will be disappointed with these other movies like Night Swim, like The Roommate, because they're not as wild and fun as a Lifetime mm-hmm. movie. As Lifetime. Like, Lifetime is doing it better than you. No shade on Lifetime, because clearly they figured it out. But it's like, Jesus Christ, just watch a Lifetime movie and copy their formula. Yes! Yeah. Yes! You don't have to make it high art. Just make it entertaining. <sighs> anyway, well, Joe, we do have something that is entertaining next week. What are we discussing? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's kind of funny, right? Because 2023 ended up being a big year for Frankenstein stories. So we should revisit not one of the OGs, because we're not going to go back that far. But uh, let's dip into the 80s and a schlocky B version. So we're finally going to check out... Reanimator. Ooh, I love the Reanimator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, funnily enough, I actually prefer the sequel, Bride of Reanimator, to the original, but that's a conversation for next week. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, all right, everyone. Well, until next week, we can cross out the roommate. Indeed. And cross out horror queers. Horror queers.